time to down your unders. Down your unders. The Frontline Gaming Network brings to you Art of War. Down Under. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 5 of uh, Art of War Down Under podcast. Um, my name is Adam Camilleri. I'm joined lovingly by my Australian Big big Brains Trust, Jeremy Marigold and Matt Morisoli. Say hello gentlemen. G'day guys. Hey guys, how you doing? So for those of you who don't know these two gents, these are the guys I talk to the most about uh, about 40k, to be honest. I talk to these guys most days of the week, and uh, these are the gents I go to when I want to get a better understanding of something. For those of you who don't know, um, Jerry Marigold is a three-time uh, CanCon champion and um, won the ITC for the last last year of uh, 7th edition. I believe that was, what, 2016, 2015? Uh, 2016, I think it was. Yeah, won the ITC Australian Championship. And then, uh, Matt, you won it in 2019. Yeah, sure did. Crazy year. Yeah, and along with that came with a ticket to the LVO where Matt went 5-1, and one, almost making it to that shadow round. So, And you were playing uh, Pure Chaos at the time, which was a pretty a heft, no hefty feat. Um, so I've got these two gentlemen on with me to talk about the missions and secondaries from the GT pack that GW released in Chapter Approved. Now we're going to be deep diving firstly into the secondaries. We're going to go through each and every single secondary that got here, give us our initial impressions, our thoughts, and then weigh up which one of those, we, which ones of those we think are going to be have the most uh, longevity and give the most benefits um, game by game. In part two of this, naturally, this is a, a two-part one. And to part two, we're going to be waxing lyrical. We're going to be going a bit, a bit more of a stream of consciousness style and uh, talking about the secondaries that we love, the ones we loathe, the ones we loathe, the uh, ones we're going to be taking all the time, the types of lists we're going to build to optimize to these missions, the things that we're going to be taking game in, game out that are always going to get us points and always going to put us in a good stead. And um, wrapping up that, we'll have a we've got a bunch of patron questions to go through today. Some of these specifically for the two gentlemen I have with me today because there was some excitement about having these guys on again. Because um, as I said, they have some big, big hefty. 120 brains now jumping straight in guys there's there is quite a few secondaries for this and they're they're in a couple of different categories there's battlefield supremacy no mercy no respite purge the enemy shadow operations um and warpcraft and they all they all seem pretty self-explanatory when you conceptualize them um and you pick three of these at the start of each of the missions that we're going to be talking about later now jumping to the first ones the battlefield supremacy and we're not going to waste any time here Engage on all fronts, because I think we've got a lot to talk about. Score 250 points at the end of your turn if you have one or more units from your army holding within three different table quarters, and those units are all more than six from the center of the battlefield. Score 350 points instead if you have one or more units from your army holding within each table quarter, and those units are more than six from the center of the battlefield. Matt, I've got a feeling that this seems a lot like Recon, and I think Recon was right in your wheelhouse for most of last season. So what do you think here? Yeah, look, absolutely. That's definitely where they've got inspiration from this one from. Um, I'm going to probably say this a lot on this episode where there are going to be <coughs> secondaries you're going to pick purely based on what your opponent has in their army more so than what you have in yours. So I think this is one of those. Yeah, It's so hard to max. Like get, getting, get, getting three points a turn is so incredibly difficult to max. And honestly, even getting the two a turn is uh, is very difficult to get. I actually don't think I'll be using this uh, anywhere near as much as I was using Recon before, uh, just purely yep. because it's very difficult to get a big return out of it, I think. Mm. It looks great on paper, no. even if you've got the right units for it, but when you look at what you actually have to achieve over the course of the entire game, uh, I think it's very difficult. 
Mm. Now, there are a few things we should note here. A lot of these aren't designed for you to be very easy to get max points out of. And a lot of people seem to be going into their missions thinking that getting 8 to 12 points out of a secondary is good enough. Um, Matt's coming from the standpoint of, if I can't get 15, maybe it's not good. So, Jez, you got anything to add on that one? Yeah, well, I mean, I kind of do agree with Matt. I think it, it's a lot of people think, well, it's recon, so it must be the same as it was before. Um, but obviously things have changed. Recon used to be very achievable because it was a six-turn game and you only needed to achieve mm. the conditions, the simple version of it, not even the advanced version, just the simple version. Um, you just needed, you know, four turns. Uh, and yeah. that was a lot a lot easier, I think, as, as Matt's alluded to. It's a lot harder now. So even though it's the same in terms of what you require, it, it uh, relatively has become more difficult. So that's definitely, yeah. I think, worth noting. I do like the addition. So I think the only reason it, be- it becomes harder to score than recon is because of the addition of it can't be within six inches of the, of the, the middle of the table. Because that, that was the big play. You'd push into the middle of the table and then you'd string yourself into whatever table quarters you needed from that middle position. Having to do it where you're having to string around the middle of the table, I think it makes it exponentially harder. I think if you took away that, it would be so much easier to score. But as it is, I still think it's good. I still think I'm, if, if I'm building to take this, I'm going to take it every time. It's one of those stable ones. You're never going to get less than a bunch of, you know, a good amount of points out of. Um, but um, Yeah, sorry, Adam. I, there, was, there is one thing I think that's worth noting that I think we can talk about at the later stage. But I do feel that based on the, the way that the, the primary missions are structured, um, and obviously we're not really focusing on primary in this particular podcast, but mm. based on, on the way primary is scored and how that you kind of do require, and I mean, this will come up when we look at missions as well, but uh, I think board control is obviously of, of massive uh, importance in this edition of the game, especially with these missions. And as a result of that, you need control of the board to be winning the primary. You need to yeah. have the majority objectives. You also need to be potentially pressuring your opponents to, to make it difficult for them to get their second objective. Because you're taking that board control style list, that list will probably score recon pretty well. So hmm. the type of list you're going to want to build for this edition and this mission pack will, by virtue of just the, mission, the, the, the list you're building, be good at scoring recon. So I, I, even though what Matt said is very pertinent, that recon is hard to get, I think the armies we build will be better at scoring it perhaps than they were in 7. Sorry, Nate. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really good point. Um, chucking over to Matt, you want to read out the next one, Linebreaker? Yeah, sure. So uh, this one is simply just score four victory points at the end of your turn if two or more units from your army, uh, except for planes, are wholly within your opponent's deployment zone. So it's kind of like a kind of like behind enemy lines from uh, from the old ITC mission pack. Um, so in in saying this, it's a multiple of four, and it's at the end of your turn. So you can score this turn one, but I mean, so you'd need three turns to get a decent return on investment from this. Yeah, look. I think this is one of the ones where it's easier to build your army to do this. Uh, so mm. talking about things like Scions from Guard or or Nurglings or other units like that that you can kind of afford to throw away. If you can get this for three turns, getting 12 points is a very good uh, a good return from a secondary. So it mm. won't be for everybody, but I think for MSU-style armies, this one is very achievable. Uh, and I think it'll put a lot of pressure on your opponent when they rock up and you've got eight Venoms or six yeah. units of three nerglings or six units of scions and you can kind of mm. threaten to take that uh every single turn if they don't zone you out properly mm. absolutely right um jamie you want to hit on the next one i'm not sure there's much more to add there so jamie you want to jump into domination 
Um, Adam, I've actually got issues with zooming in on my text, so I'd rather if I didn't read it, you read it. And <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll read it out and you give us your first thoughts. Uh, domi- do domination. Score three victory points if you control more than half of the total number of objective markers on the battlefield at the end of your turn. More than half. Score three points if you control more than half of the amount of the yeah. objective markers. So more than half. Yeah. Um, what happens, so in that, obviously, in the case of an even amount, you would need three out of four, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that, that that's that makes it that makes it bad. I think if it said uh, rather than say if it said equal or more than half, then it it would might mean that in a, in a case mm-hmm. of a mission with four objectives, you would only be able to score. Well, I guess it just depends on the mission. In a mission where there's an even number, you probably wouldn't pick it, mm. um, because you'd need like three out of four, which might be quite hard. But in a in a mission yeah. where there's like five. And it just, in order to get this, you just need to control that fifth objective. So, like in the case where there's two in each deployment zone, one in the middle, if you just need mm. the middle one effectively to get it, this actually becomes quite reasonable. Yeah, you're um, right. And I think I think there's three there's kind of three columns of, or three styles of ones we're gonna of, of secondaries we're gonna run into. They're the ones that are dependent on the army you play, ones that are dependent on your opponent, and ones that are dependent on the mission. And I believe this one's one of the ones that's more dependent on the mission than anything else. Yeah. I think so. I, I definitely think so. Mm. Uh, Matt, anything to add? Uh, I think this is one of the ones, look, uh, ha- having not played a game with Domination yet, uh, I think this is one of the ones where it's going to be great when you're winning, but it doesn't help you in a game that you, you're losing or a hard game. So it might be great mm-hmm. in the first couple of rounds of a tournament where you've got when you, you've got a better army than your opponent, when you've got a board control army and they've sort of just brought some guns. Yeah, I think it kind of helps when you're ahead. But I don't think it necessarily helps in in tight games. I think those extra objectives are going to yeah. be very hard fought over, uh, whereas you might be able to pick them up a little bit easier against gunline armies or more one dimensional armies. I think it's a bit of a cocky pick in some in some games. Like if if I'm walking up to an opponent, I'm like first pick secondaries domination. You're like you're setting the stage. You're like I think I'm going to crush you. <laughs> so here we go. Um, but. In, in saying that, like it's the same as the remember the Maelstrom card that was domination. Hold every objective on the table, and you, you always discarded what that one at the end of your at the end of your turn, unless you were just like absolutely crushing. So I believe this is in a similar ilk. Yeah, look, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's one of those things, mm. right? Where I think uh, you're not going to score it and win the game. I, I think picking it in any sort of tight game is a huge risk. And also it allows your opponent to sort of double down because if they're playing around the primary Mm. already and they then play around denying you domination, they are not only scoring the primary for themselves, but they are taking 15 potential points away from you. Mm. Uh, So I, I, I think, I think it's bad for that reason. It cuts a double deep when it doesn't go off. Yeah. Um, No mercy, no respite is the next, next grouping. And um, Matt, you want to read this one out? Sure. Uh, if you pick this objective, keep a tally of your kill points. Uh, each time an enemy model is destroyed, add one or add ten. Uh, if model was destroyed, had ten or more wounds. Uh, if it comes back or whatever, you can uh, you can count it again. Uh, at the end of the battle, divide the number of points you have by ten, and this is how many points you get. So this one is uh, kind of the Reaper. Not quite exactly, but kind of the Reaper. Yeah, so it's it's uh, 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 based on wounds, though. So it's the, the amount of wounds that you kill. Yeah? Yeah, for sure. Yes. So if every every ten every no, ten yeah, wounds no, you do no yeah so, no no it's it's one for every model but if the model had ten or more wounds it counts as ten so if you kill oh, of course apologies. ten yeah. ten custard guard that's only ten points yeah correct Jez any thoughts um, yeah I think this one's very basic it's it's gonna it's gonna be obvious the games you want this 
Mm. Um, and I think any game where it's not obvious that you want it, it's probably not going to be good. So very simple, very simple <laughs> one. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better. Um, next one is grind them down. I'm going to flick this over to you first, Jez. So this one reads, uh, score three victory points at the end of the battle round if more enemy units than friendly units were destroyed this battle round. Yeah, well, this is a good one. Obviously, if you uh, you know you know you're going to be getting effectively kill more from the previous ITC style missions, you know you're going to be getting that. And there's obviously situations in which you will know because you might be playing knights, your opponent might be playing MSU like Eldar with lots of units of mm. five Dire Avengers, and you kind of think, well, it's they're not really ever going to get kill more. So this is a pretty good way to be guaranteeing that I get the, the max secondary. So there are situations where it's very good. Where I run into trouble with it is that it's three points per turn. I w- you'd hope it'd be four or five points per turn because at three points per turn, you have to actually kill more every single turn of the game. And if you're killing more every turn of the game, you usually run out of kills by like turns four, turns five. Yeah, I, that, and, that's unless, unless, you're, unless you're playing against a ridiculously MSU'd army. I'll let's jump in here. And also, this is exactly what Jez said about in their ranks. This will be very obvious when you want it. Uh, it'll be mm. when you're playing elite armies against MSU armies. It'll be when you have the capability to deny your opponent killing anything for a couple of turns and you can pick up small kills. There, there'll be lots of times when you just say, this one is going to score me 9 to 15 points. I'm going to play a cagey game, but scoring 9 to 15 points is going to be very valuable when I'm going to be denying my opponent their secondaries as well. Yeah, that's 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 very true. If, you st- if, you're, if you're getting 9 points of value out of this while denying 20 points of um primary this is a huge huge swing um last one while we stand we fight uh if you collect its objective then before the battle you must identify which three models from your army um have the highest points value so this is models not units and make a note of those on your army roster if your army has three or four fewer models then you instead identify all units in your army a model's point cost includes the points blah 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 you score five rigid points for each of these models that are on the battlefield at the end of the battle so at the end of the game so this is you select your three most expensive units and um if they're alive at the end you get five points for each one matt what do you think uh so this is definitely dependent on what's in your army uh surprise surprise Mm -hmm. when you're picking units out of your own army um so look I, i i think situationally this is very good and situationally it's terrible so when you look at things like um like the the Smite Council army of last edition where you've got these demon princes that are hiding behind 300 plague bearers that are never going to die, well, that's great because nothing costs more than your demon prince and they're never going to kill mm. your demon prince. But if you're looking at things like uh like some of the old Iron Hands armies, for example, where they've got a repulsor and bits and pieces like that, sure, they're, those things are tough, but they're also a target. If your big point mm. units are a target for your opponent and they have the means to kill them, you're obviously not going to want to pick this. But if you've got some characters that you can hide or screen off reasonably well uh, that are going to hang around for all five turns of the game, uh, I think mm-hmm. it's a, a very good choice for a uh, for a secondary. I, I quite like that it's like in the, in the situation where your most expensive thing isn't the highest priority kill for your opponent. If I think I think you pretty much said that, nail, put the nail on his head. But Jeremy, uh, under what circumstances do you think this has got value? I think Matt made the, the perfect example where you've got like three expensive characters that are able to be hidden mm. behind just a screen of like a massive amount of other stuff. Um, yeah. So it's almost exclusively that situation. Some people might think, oh, I'm going to play knights and I'm going to pick this. Well, that's not going to work because mm. your opponent will just kill, you know, if they kill two of those three models, it's definitely not worth it. If they yeah. kill one of them, it's kind of a wash. It's okay. 
Uh, yep. But I think, as Matt said, you can actually build your army around this. You could build an army that has three really tough models mm-hmm. that are hard to kill that can be protected. And then you kind of lock in 15 points, which is pretty good to be able to go into a game knowing you're going to be getting those points. Because mm-hmm. there's some situations in which your opponent can target characters, but you might pick characters that are not only uh, you know, your characters, but that are also defensively powerful as well. Yeah. So, yeah. So... From my mind, you can always use this offensively to tunnel what your opponent wants to do. I'm thinking, and I'm thinking very specific unit right here. I'm thinking Plague Burst Crawlers with the four plus invulnerable save. You pick those as your three most expensive things, and you sit them at the back instead of putting them at the front. Your 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 opponent does not want to put shots into them when they don't have to. They're so resilient, and they don't they put out a medium amount of damage, but not a stupidly like devastating amount of damage. Whereas like, if you play Knights, you would think this is a good idea, but the, the fact of the matter is, let's say you win that game with your Knights, yeah, and you had one Knight left, and you had a couple of Armages. You've got five points out of that secondary. I think that's even a, I think that's a losing prospect, yeah? You just, you just walk into that saying, well, I could have got nine from any other one, but I chose to get five because I'm playing Knights. Absolutely. Uh, on the flip side, another way to look at this one uh, is for hard MSU, where you play, for example, think let, let's think Racks and Venoms, for example. Uh, your yep. most expensive unit could be a couple of homunculuses. You know, they, they cost more with some yep. more gear than a squad of Rax does or a Venom does. And if you take the right units, you, like Jeremy said, you can almost build a list around this where your three most expensive mm. units are homunculuses that sit being screened off or in a transport all game. And you actually don't yeah. care if you don't fight with them. You don't care if you fight 200 points down. Uh, if they're giving mm. off their auras and they're you know not getting targeted, you you, you score fifteen points that way. So for hard MSU, yep. it's very easy to have a couple of even not very important characters that can hide in the transport be your most expensive units. And then you can dangle that on a stick, dangle it on a stick, and yeah, use it to to try to provoke your opponent into trying to go for it. And then by going for it, they might overcommit to a certain part of the board. They give you a couple of turns of winning primary because they're committing to this obscure transport somewhere and then you just whisk it away when you need to and yeah i think mm. actually that sounds already sounds like a good list so yeah um, yeah but like add, add to that list something like the yinkan that just goes whack-a-mole on your opponent when it's the most expensive thing and you're just like oh, i wanted to try and kill it not nah, popped up somewhere else oh you wanted to kill it oh, not nah, somewhere else like you could add some really frustrating elements when you, you double down on this well, I think we covered that one at nauseam. And yeah, it is a it is this juicy deep one you can go into and really build around, which I like. Um, next section is Purge the Enemy. Um, um, Matt, would you like to read out the first one? Oh, mate, look, I don't know if I can. Titan Hunter, it's pretty uh, pretty complicated, this one here. Uh, 10, 10 victory points if you kill one Titanic model, 12 for two and 15 for three. Uh, I don't know why it's not 12, 13, 15. I don't know why the scale goes up 10, then two, then three. It makes no sense at all to me. But mm-hmm. um, yep. this one, look, it's so straightforward, right? If you play against knights and you can kill them, you're going to pick it. You probably even pick it against one knight. I, I think this actually makes one knight bad. Uh, purely because I would you give agree. away I'll- 10 points straight away for just losing one model. Damn straight. I wish it, wish this was eight, seven, eight, or nine instead of 10 straight off the bat because then it'd be some, then you'd be some like, some give and take have being at 10 straight off for just one. Like it makes taking a sh- single shadow sword or something of that ilk or a storm. So just like, Oh, I'm just going to auto give up 10 points. If I go second with this, you know, or I have to pay CP to keep it off the board and not give up 10 points straight away. Like it just, you, it just really, it feels awkward. Anything to add Jez? Well, I mean, I, I do agree. There's obviously sometimes where you will, 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 you kind of might take this if you feel like the other ones, but I, you know what? I don't even know if you would take this. Um, even if your opponent has three knights, um, 
I mean, you might, but like the issue with it is there's probably other ones that are better. Like the board control based ones might just mm. be better because yep. your opponent is just... hiding their knights. If you take this, you kind of say to your opponent, well, now they can just protect their knights and hide them and deny you points. Whereas you could just, instead of taking this against knights, just take board control based uh, secondaries that you're easy, much easier to score against knights. The, mm. Although I disagree that this is an auto take against one knight because I feel like if you do take this against an army with one knight, you've already shredded off five of the, you know, you can only ever get 10 rather than 15. And then your opponent can just try to protect that knight and just deny you that 10, which is pretty horrendous mm. if they're able to do that. Yeah, yeah. I remember what I said to before about t- trying to tunnel what your opponent wants to do. Um, that would be, but I can see it both ways. You're both making good points. Yeah, look, August, um, I'll address a couple of points here. At Adam first, first you're saying you didn't like that you got 10 for the first night. This is about the same scale as what Titan Slayer and old ITC emissions gave you. The first night was worth three out of four points. So this is pretty much yeah, that's, that's actually on the really same true, scale. Yeah. Uh, and to Jez's point, um, given that you have to pick the, all your secondaries from different, uh, different areas, I just don't think you can pick three, uh, three secondaries that are going to help you avoid playing around the night, especially if it's one that wants to come at you. I, I think you kind of are forced to to interact with your opponent's army and remove stuff in some way. Yeah, and this seems to me yeah. like, okay. well, this just seems to me like the easiest way to go about that. Where it, it, You're right, it, it is high risk, high reward, and you won't pick it if you don't have a good way to kill a knight. But if you're packing the guns to kill it, I don't see why you wouldn't go for it. True. Mm. So uh, Matt touched on something we should. I probably should have stated at the start. There is a, a little bit of a, a blurb at the start of the secondary objectives that states um, each secondary objective listed has a category, e.g. Persian enemy, blah, blah, blah. Um, when you select a secondary, your secondary objectives, you cannot choose more than one from each category. So I should have stated that at the start. Um, I'm sure many, most, most people knew that, but I feel like we should have added the context. Um, did you want to rebut what Matt just said, Jess? Um, well, not, I mean, yes and no. Like I do think there are, there are ways in which, for example, you could pick uh, engage on all fronts, which we spoke about earlier. While we stand, we fight, which we just said you can, um, you know, you can build your army around that. And then there's raise the banners, which we're going to hit on later, which are three um, ones that you could pick that are just don't in- that don't actually require you to really engage, uh, interact with your enemy. Engage um, and while we stand are the same. They're both battlefield supremacy, dude. Uh, sorry, I'm just looking. No, they're not. No. Battlefield no? supremacy is engaging all fronts. No mercy, no respite is why we stand, we fight. Oh, you're right. I didn't even see that yeah. heading. I am going crazy. I was going crazy. Um, so I'm just saying, if you pick those three, and actually I'm just going to go on record now saying I think a combo like that is really strong because the type of army that would be doing, that would be picking while we stand, we fight would be the kind of like what um, Matt said, like that kind of MSU uh, army. Well, that army would also be able to get recon very easily and would also yep. be able to raise the banners really easily. So yeah, I feel like right. you don't really need to be going for that Killita style thing unless it's really clear you can do it. And the problem is if you do pick Titan Hunter, your opponent will just potentially try to hide their knights and play a different style of battle. So I don't know. I think it's up in the air. It depends. <laughs> and the guys, another thing that's really important to note if you're listening and you're thinking, well, oh, oh, that's actually true. Bear in mind that if your opponent knows you're going down this road, and if me and Matt are playing and we know we know this, and Adam's the same, we all know these things, then we will manipulate each other based on that. So there is a metagame in, in secondary decisions. It's mm. not just as simple as one's better than the other. There is a kind of a metagame that will make things situationally better at certain times. 
Yeah, also, again, not, not to harp on about this one for too long, but the type of army that's going to pick engage while we stand and raise the banners is not necessarily going to have the tools to kill knights anyway. Uh, it's more likely to have a lot of uh, plebeian units that are focused on board control rather than being able to actually kill big, juicy things. So while I agree with Jeremy on that, I'm, I'm more talking about the situation here where you have the ability to kill someone's knight, you're probably going to pick this. I'm not saying it's always the right, you know, the right call to make, but uh, I, I do think the types of armies that are going to excel at board control aren't going to be the armies that are sitting there blowing a knight off the board every turn. Yep, yep, fair. And here, here I was thinking I'm going to engage these big brain boys in some nice philosophy about secondary discussion and who picks what and all this stuff, and you go and give it away all in the middle of the damn thing. <laughs> no, nah, good job, good discussion. What did I all give right, away? Next one. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Just all the, the metagame stuff and the, the intrigue of the secondary picks. Because um, I feel like that's a really juicy topic. We could talk at hours, like ad nauseum of that stuff. It's great. Um, bring it down to the next one. Uh, score 250 points at the end of the battle for each enemy monster or vehicle model with a wounds characteristic of 10 or less that was destroyed and 350 points for each monster or vehicle that was destroyed with a wounds characteristic of 11 or more that was destroyed. So two for each... Um, Monster vehicle under 10 or 10 or under, and three for each one, 11 or more. Look, I think what we said about this one is pretty, it's, it's pretty self explanatory. If you're playing against a heavy, like, even it's a, where this is really good, this is good against all MSU, essentially all vehicle based MSU. When you guys were talking about massed venoms, this is great against venoms. But, but how many yeah. venoms do you need to kill? They're two points, two points each. Eight. So you kill five venoms. Yeah, you kill five venoms, you've got 10 points. You'd probably be happy with that in that mission, considering what they could be packing. And, you know, if you bring, like, five Venoms and three Ravages, you can max this pretty well. But you are you are going to be doubling down pretty much saying from the start, like, if I'm going to max this, I've pretty much tabled the guy. Um, any any specific thoughts here, or can we just move on? Uh, I don't think this is good. Um, just, like, well, the fact that... Straight off the bat. Nah, I mean, I, back, I, I, think it's, <laughs> I think it's okay. But, guys, unless, like, your opponent's playing an army where it's... Their, their vehicles are their damage, so they might have like six or like let's say seven or eight big vehicles that are their damage, like dreadnoughts, for example. But the vehicles um, are not only vehicles, but they're they're the damage dealers. Okay, it might be good then, but when you're mm. playing an army that might be a bunch of wave serpents with with uh, wave serpents, obviously you would never pick it against that. But like even something like venoms or ra uh, ravage, uh, what are they called, raiders, like having to kill eight vehicles that are also going to be disembarking models into the fight that you need to kill because they're obsec and going on to objective you end up probably going to be lucky if you kill four or five of these vehicles in the game so you're saying like, if you don't if you're locking yourself into killing a bunch of tr useless transports you're making yeah, a bad choice it's horrible against yeah. transports um it's only really good against like fighting vehicles that are very effective but also when they have a quantity of them enough to make it worth it they'd have to have at least mm. probably 10 and they need so to be you mean 10 you mean 10 points worth or 10 no, vehicles like, I'd say ten vehicles because if, if they if they have ten points worth, then it's not going to be the whole army. Yeah, that's true. That is true. So you're saying when they when they've brought this overwhelming arch vehicle archetype, this this exactly yeah. or when or, they can't avoid stuff. them, protect them. Yeah, I don't think this is good. I think this is very situationally good. Mm, so that's fair. Um, I, look, I, I agree. I, I don't think it's good. What I will say though is similar to what Jeremy was getting into earlier with this. Uh, this decision on the secondary choice metagame, if you are playing into the Venom list or something similar like that and they pick engage on all fronts and while we stand and, and, and things like that where you know they're playing to push models around the board and score, you know, 
six, seven points in secondaries every turn and just have that amass up over the game. Uh, unlike the old ITC secondaries, a lot of this stuff stacks. So bring it down, stacks with grind them down, and then you mm-hmm. start getting double value out of every venom that you kill, or That's true. every whatever you know, whatever it may be, whatever whatever transport we're talking about here. Um, I don't think it's the right way to go, but I think situationally, if you have the means to kill their stuff and they're picking uh, secondaries where they want to be all over the board, they kind of have mm. to feed those units to you because if they're not feeding That's those units point. to you, they're scoring nothing, yeah. and you are still picking up some of their units and picking up some yeah. of their, you know, some of their transports and getting, if, if you get six points in the secondary, but they get none on engage on all fronts, for example, that's still a net gain because you've denied them, mm. you know, eight, 10, 15 points uh, because they can't throw those units at you. Yeah, the psychological effect it'll have on how they want to play if they're playing this spread out MSU MSU game, they're going to be essentially shooting points into your deployment zone and you're going to be just gobbling those points up. I think that's a really good point. Um, Next one, cut off the head. Uh, at the end of the battle, you score a number of victory points. Uh, if the enemy warlord was destroyed during the battle, the number of victory points scored depends on the battle round during which the enemy warlord was destroyed, as shown in the table below. So, battle round five, they're worth one point. Battle round one, they're worth 13 points. Then there's a differential stuff in the middle. Like, battle round three, they're worth six points. If an enemy warlord was destroyed, but then resurrected or otherwise returned to the battlefield and subsequently destroyed again, then for all purposes of the secondary, it was destroyed in the battle round at which it was the last removed from the table. Um, I'm going to say this is awful. Anybody yeah, this disagree? Is shit, this is shit house. <laughs> this, okay. I, I, have one, I have one exception to provide you with, but... Uh, Late it's on me. not it, look look if your opponent has one knight and you pick Titan Hunter and cut off the head and the knight's their warlord, you can score twenty three yep. points in the first turn if you kill it. A smart player is gonna put that knight into reserves and reserve. uh, they're, they're not gonna Straight let you away. do it. Uh I, I, I think this is pretty shit house, to be honest. Pardon my I think this my, is the worst my Australian. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We can let it we'll let it have a couple of shits. Maybe one F. But save it for something really poignant. If we can't if we can keep it clean, we'll try and keep it clean. Jeremy, anything else to add apart no, from no, another explosion? No, no. Terrible. All right. Terrible. Last one. Uh, Matt, you want to read it out? And then Jez, have your first say? Uh, yeah, could just assassinate. It's just literally three points for every character you destroy. It's almost like they ripped it off from the ITC mission pack. Who would have thought they had some say in writing these? I'm outraged. Uh, Jez, what do you think? Yeah, it could be good. Like if they have a, I mean, it is a lot harder to get characters in this edition and they're also a lot di- more difficult to protect in this edition. So mm. I don't actually think we will see those armies like we saw in eight, where you saw some armies that had like eight to 12 characters, sometimes more. There's tons and tons of characters. I don't think we'll see those armies as much, uh, but nonetheless, when they do pop up somehow, maybe because characters are elite choices or characters, they're actually mm. not like HQ character armies that, Lots of astropaths, you know, things like that. Um, Officers of the fleet, things like that. Maybe we'll see uh, this being okay. Yeah, I mean, you made a good point there because fundamentally, it's harder to get characters into the game. Well, a massive characters into the game because you, what we used to take three to battalions, so we we would have a minimum of six characters in every single thing. Um, whereas now, a lot of a lot of armies are going to have three, four characters, maybe, and it's only so. Uh, whereas. So you think about in the ITC secondary, you'd get max points on this if you killed four characters. Whereas this one, you need to kill five characters to get max points. And there's a lot less characters around. So I feel like this is, it's a bit rough. Like even in the, even in the games where you want to do it, um, I feel like it, it, especially with the way terrain works now, um, it's going to be a lot easier for your opponents to not let you have them. 
whether, whether that's a psychological play in that metagame we talked about um, and you want to say, hey, it's, it's going to be detrimental for you to use your smash captains, et cetera, et cetera, that could be a thing. But yeah, I, I don't see this as being great. Here, here. Yeah, agreed. All right, Sol, you want to, uh, I'll read out the next one, sorry. This is the first of the Shadow Operations one. This is Raise the Banners. So there is a little bit to talk about this one. Um, so this is an action. So one or more infantry units from your army can start or to perform this action at the end of your movement phase. Each unit from your army that starts to perform this action must be in range of a different objective marker uh, that does not have one of your banners raised on it already. A unit cannot start this action while there are any enemy units um, in range of the same objective marker. The action is completed at the end of your turn. If this action is successfully completed, that objective marker is said to have, been, have one of your uh, army's banners raised on it. Um, the banner is removed if your opponent controls the objective marker at the start of any phase. Any phase, um, you score one victory point at the end of each of your command phases, and one victory point at, each, at the end of the battle for each objective marker on the battlefield that has one of your banners raised on it. So I like that. There's two clauses of scoring there. There's one at the at the start of your. So you know you get to your, end of your command phase, you raise it at, in your movement phase. You get to the next command phase, you score a point for each banner. Um, and then you score a point at the end of the game for each one. So this is cool because this lets you score turn five essentially. So because a lot of the, a lot of these secondaries that are of of the action based ones, you can't score generally score turn one, and it's very hard to score them than turn five. This one lets you score some points turn five, which I like a lot. Um, there is a bit to talk about there, so I'll nick it over to Soli first. Give us your thoughts, man. Yeah, look, I, I think it's really good. I think this is again one you want to build the uh, the right sort of army for. Obviously, MSU infantry units are uh, are already shaping up to be. A pretty big thing uh, in, I guess, what we've sort of seen coming out of the, uh, the small meta game at the moment. Um, I think there'll be a lot of armies that will uh, that will really excel at this. That will, um, especially in the missions where there are, you know, where there are six or even five objectives. Um, I, I think it's pretty solid overall. Yep, Jess, anything, Dad? Yeah, I think it's uh, excellent. I think a lot of people would look at this and think that it's they'd get anxious about the conditions that they'll see, and, mm. and you know people will be relating to me saying this as I, as I say it because i'll think oh yeah i was like that because they they initially you think oh you know oh my god well i have to first i have to take it and then i have to hold it and then i you know there's this a lot of conditions but ultimately just think about it this way like let's frame reframe it if you take this on your turn one right like you, that's when the action occurs then in the next command phase on turn two you start scoring it if you hold two objectives, like say there's two objectives that are accessible to you that you can defend near your objective zone, objective area. If you take those on turn one and hold those for the whole game and keep them and, and score the end game, that's going to be 10 points just from those two objectives. Yeah. And that doesn't count any of the other objectives in the game and your interaction with them. So if you're playing a game with a five objectives game or a six objective game, but primarily let's just say a five, and there's that middle objective that you know you're going to go and contest, then any points you score from that are kind of a bonus. Mm. Um, I think for the armies that want that battle, that kind of like board uh, control type of um, style of list, I think that's very, very good to go in tandem with the recon, whatever the recon was called. I think they go very well together. It's kind of like points for what you want to what you want to do anyway in any mission that you play that has a primary objective. You want to be exactly. holding and and maintaining control of objectives, and this is just essentially points for free, almost. Um, yeah. Where I don't where I don't like it. So we talk. I talk about terms and conditions a lot. This has a, there are a lot of, like you said, Jez, There are a lot of terms and conditions on this one, and here's the only one that bothers me. The banner is removed if your opponents control the objective marker at the start of any phase. I wish that says battle round or command phase or was a specific phase because the end of any phase. Um, 
kind of sucks. <laughs> Sorry, well, well, they have to control it. They don't just have to touch it, right? So you, they need to yeah, remove. They, have to control it. they need to remove your obsec off that and get their own obsec on there, or I, I guess, or, or get anything on there if they remove all your units. But that, 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 that's hard work, man. Like, well, it, it is for some armies. It isn't for others. You think about ten termagants. Let's say you've got five intercessors on that objective. Those ten termagants pose zero zero um, threat to those five intercessors. They will shred them, demolish them. But you metabolic override those ten termagants onto it. Bang, points gone. Same thing if you double move guardsmen. Bang, points gone. I've got ten guardsmen, ten wounds. You've got ten, the same ten wounds, but I've got ten models. And even though my guardsmen will be mincemeat next turn, I can stop you scoring points. Um, so uh, that that yeah, kind of yeah. is where it feels bad. I, I disagree, yeah. man. I, I think you you string your models around on the edge of your objective radius. They've got to they've got to get in there, charge you, get a bunch of models on there. They can't shoot you off it. If they shoot you off it, they're not controlling that. Your banner is still there. That's true. Like yeah. it's only so many units they can throw across the board uh, to come and fight you and take that objective off you. Mm. I, I I look at this as being almost a default for most army builds, whereas a lot of other secondaries aren't going to get you the seven or eight points minimum you're going to get from this every single game. Yeah, I think that's where that's where the strength is. It has a high minimum points that you're going to get from it. Like even in, even in a losing game, you're going to get like eight or nine points from it, right? I just think what's good about it, like if you combine it with like, I mean, there's obviously various other things you can combine it with, but if you say like engage on all fronts, for example, um, it seems to kind of blend quite well with, with that one. If you... If you do that and you um, you're you're saying okay, and what you the point you made, Adam, is great that you're you're basically getting secondary points for doing what you would already be doing with with uh, yeah exactly right raise the banners. You're already wanting to hold objectives to get the primary. So if you combine that with the fact that you're going to be trying to obviously um, take board control for engage all fronts, you can then focus a lot of your effort because you're kind of inherently scoring those two secondaries just from playing the game. You can then focus all your effort on just disrupting your opponent and winning yeah. the primary and then saying, yep. okay, yep. I'm already scoring my secondaries just from playing the game. I'm now mm. going to focus all my points, like the, my, the meat of my army and my effort, in actually ripping the heart out of their army and winning primary by holding, holding more regularly. And now that's an even, interesting thing. Yeah, that's, so that's how I see the game being played and how I think I'll be building my lists. Um, but I, and that's why I think it's strong. You might not necessarily score 15 from it, but because you're scoring so easily from it, mm. you and your opponent can't really interact with it because as long as you're just yeah. defending your objectives, which you should be doing anyway, you're scoring it. Mm. It's it's safe points. It might not be max safe points, but safe points are safe points. Now, what I like, what I think you touched on there, or you alluded to, was um, a kind of a concept of mental arithmetic. Now, if if you if you pick secondaries that already play into what you have to do in, in to win a game anyway, you're reducing the overall amount of mental arithmetic you need to do turn by turn because you just need to focus on playing the primary. And you, you, can, you can almost forget two or, th or sometimes even three of your secondaries and just play the primary and score all your points. And I, I, can't, I can't emphasize that enough. Things like LVO, WTC, these marathon events, like mental arithmetic and mental strain is a real thing. So maybe there is some a serious mileage of that. Just taking this safe point um, investment stuff that'll constantly tick over not a max amount of points but a, a good chunk of your points and take away the amount of thinking you need to do every single turn every single moment there could be a lot to that mm. yeah i also think it puts pressure on i think uh the fact that you start scoring this on turn two and your opponent mm -hmm. has the ability to stop you from scoring that uh but not necessarily uh, it's not necessarily always the right choice to go and 
three units away to stop you from scoring that. I think it just puts pressure on your opponent very early. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, they yep. can just do the same thing back to you. And obviously, most good players are going to realize when, uh, when and when it is not bait to go and you know to go and pull those banners down. Uh, but I think mm. it just the uh, the psychological effect of having your opponent just scoring these points for free every turn after the first, unless you do something about it while you're working hard to score your secondaries, for example. I, I, look, I, I think that the importance of that can't be understated either. And the last point I want to make is um, the fact you can score at turn five. If you go if you go second in the five turn game and you have the you have the bottom of the last turn, essentially you can scramble and score five, maybe six points in that turn. You know, you can scramble yeah. out your MSU, your obsec, and just nobble up a bunch of points that your opponent didn't even see coming. They were like, oh, yeah, it's going to, you know, I'm going to win by two points. And bam, you grab five points and you win by one. Um, like, it's, it's, it could be a huge deal. Uh, Matt, do you want to read the next one? Yeah, sure. Oh, God, we've been going on this one for so long. I've lost my place. All right, in, investigate uh-huh. sites. <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, score three victory <laughs> points. Every time a unit from your army uh, completes the following action. Uh, so an infantry unit that is not a character from your army, can perform this action at the end of your movement phase if you're within six of the center of the battlefield. Uh, and there are no other enemy units uh, except for planes that are within six of the battlefield as well. Um, the action is complete at the end of your turn. So it's it's old king of the hill, but it's a lot easier. The turn, there's, yeah, there's very few sure. terms and conditions. What are your initial thoughts, Matt? Um, look, again, I, I think this is going to be one of the ones where if your opponent can't contest the middle of the board, this one's pretty good. Uh, mm. Like the the uh, the payoff here, right, is that you kind of score uh, you you kind of score straight away. So you put that unit in the middle of the yeah. board, and then you score straight away. Um, and you can put scoreboard pressure on this very quickly. Yeah. So, for example, in the missions with less objectives, where you might not necessarily want raise the banners, I think this is a better shadow operation where it may mm-hmm. be hard for you to hold on to you know to two objectives for the whole game. Um, if you've got fast infantry, things like. Um, uh, just just anything with a jump pack, right, jumps out at me as being really good. U- units of, oh, look, uh, a- 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 anything. Uh, Vespid, there we go. Vespid are bloody terrible. <laughs> but, but Vespid jump out uh, and score you three points a turn, and they might give away a kill. But if you've got three units of, what are they coming in squads of four? That's they cost six, in that Marisoli they, list. They cost like yeah, 60 points is. each for a <laughs> <laughs> Mate, uh, yeah. uh, you just you, you hide those vespid, you jump them out, and you advance, and they move fourteen, don't they? This is this is a great strat. Yeah. I'm gonna see three, three by four vespid at every tower army now. Um, LVO 2021, Matt Morisoli, top table vespid. You heard it here. Yeah, um, sorry, it's, it's happening. Uh, look, I, I, I think um, I think if you build the right list for it, or if your list just naturally has the right type of uh, of units for it. This one's pretty good. I don't think it's as good as Raise the Banners, but I think situationally it is actually better. Uh, it really just depends mm-hmm. on, uh, on on what your opponent has, what's in front of you, what the board looks like. Yeah. There's a few factors here. If you've got a big bit of terrain in the middle of the board, it's pretty good. Hmm. I think what's interesting here is the way I would see it is that when you don't have that, as it's literally what Matt said, but a different way to frame it is it kind of creates an objective in the middle of the board. Mm, yeah. It kind of makes one. So when there's when there's a game where there isn't one, because, you know, you, there just isn't an objective in the middle of the board, the way the mission is, then you wouldn't pick raise the banners if, say, there's two objectives in your opponent's side of the board, two on yours, and you only know you're really going to get a max of 10 from raise the banners. It's going to be really hard to get more than 10. Well, suddenly investigate site seems a lot more attractive because with, with, yeah, like, you know, if you're really got any form of ascendancy, any form of sustain, you'll be able to score probably at least 12 points from it. 
So it just yeah. it just replaces that choice. So I, I totally agree. I think you, if you're building an army that's based on that that kind of um, that, you know board control style of play, then these two just kind of sub in for each other as one of them is better. You pick that one, et cetera, et cetera. I could always I always want to put in in, in brackets after this investigate sites brackets Raven Guard slash Nurglings because they're like Nurglings picture born, made mate. most oh, sorry apologies yeah then it's just Raven Guard <laughs> um, Raven Guard will get so many so much mileage from this it is very easy to play around though like let's just be clear here like I, it, this is a great pick if your opponent can't be tested in the middle of the board but all they have to do is put a unit within six. Uh, hmm during their turn and you can't score it for a turn. And if they do that three times, well, all of a sudden it's a max of six, you know, it's uh Yeah, look, you would need to be holding it very early. You need to get over there with like a lot of stuff. Um, well, but the yeah. thing is your opponent has the chance to counterplay this. So they can charge whatever you have in the middle of the board. And do then they? if they've got a unit there in your movement phase, the action is completed at the end of your turn. So it's... Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, but you can only perform the action if there's nothing within six of the center of the, bo- uh, of the board. Uh, of course, yes. Yeah. So you won't have a chance to reply before they get to turn it off. That's very true. So that's why, that's why I was thinking of things like something like Raven Guard because they had the chance to completely zone you off from getting to it for like two or three turns. And especially then, it, like if, if, you ch- if I chuck a unit of infiltrators on that objective and then I put aggressors and centurions in front of those infiltrators and it's not on an objective, you've got no impetus to want to get those five. Can't you assault their unit and then claim it? No, because you can't perform the action if there is a unit within six. So you perform the action in your movement yeah. phase. If there's a unit there in your movement phase, you can't do it this turn. Yeah. And like, you better believe my opponent's picking this. I'm jamming a Plague Burst Crawler on that center objective <laughs> or in the center of the board. Yeah. And you know what? They can kill it if they want to, but like, it's a hard thing to kill it. I'm just going to leave that sitting there and that's going to cause them 15 And you're going to explode pain. it. You're going to explode <laughs> exactly. it for sure. Absolutely. Um, all right, that's a juicy one, though. I think we could talk about that one a bit longer, but we've got to move on. Uh, next one is Deploy Scramblers. I'll read this one. I'll tick this straight over to Jez when I'm done. Um, score 10 victory points at the end of the battle if you successfully completed the following action three times during the battle, once in your deployment zone, once in your opponent's deployment zone, and once more than six inches from either player's deployment zone. So once in no man's land, once in theirs, once in yours. Um, deploy Scramblers action. One infantry unit, excluding characters from your army, can start to perform this action at the end of your movement phase. If it is wholly within your deployment zone, Probably within your opponent's deployment zone or more than six inches from either. Uh, this action is completed at the end of your turn. Um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say this is the one I love. But Jez, go. Um, yeah, it's it's good. It, what's good about this one is it kind of sets a, sets a bit of a benchmark about like because it, is it the end of the turn you complete the action? Yes. Yeah. So you can just dart into their deployment zone and do it. So yeah, you can. It, it kind of it does set a benchmark of like any secondary you pick, you know should be able to get 10 points. You should be aiming, because like this one's very achievable um, and it's 10 points. So if unless you think you can get more than 10 points, you probably mm. should just pick this. If you're built to do this, I think this is almost 10 points in the bank every time. Unless your opponent has ways of turning it off, in which case you don't pick it. But I do feel like because it's only, t- it can't be more than 10 points. That's why I think like raise the banners is generally better because mm, even yeah. even in the situations where raise the banners is hard because you've got two objectives in your deployment zone, two in theirs, and there's not really much in no man's land. Well, that just gives you 10 for just defending your objectives. Mm. So like this can only give you 10, whereas raise the banners gives you 10 and then the chance of getting more if you start really pushing your opponent off the board. 
So yeah, it's, exactly. it is good though. Like it's a good benchmark. So yeah. Well, I just think of for me for with scions and stuff, I can just take essentially two units of min scions or one unit of min scions. I do, one one turn I double move a guardsman squad into the middle of the board. One turn I deep strike scions into the backboard, and of, of course I'm always in mind. I feel like it's the the, the easiest ten points I'm going to make. But you're right; it, it, it's got a ceiling cap. It's being only ten points. The scoring potential just isn't there. You could you could find you lose a game because you took you took this and they someone scored max and you didn't. Um, Solo, you got anything to add? Uh, now, I think you guys covered it off pretty well. I will say when I first read this one, I thought it was terrible. Uh, and then on my mm-hmm. second and sort of third read through the mission pack, I sort of I warmed up to it a little bit. I think it's a little bit better than uh, than I originally thought. Um, it does depend on what you're playing, obviously. Some armies yeah. are better than others. Um, but I agree. It's a good secondary. Um, it's, a, you know, it's, mm. it's nice. It feels pretty balanced. You want to t- tackle the last one of this section, Teleport Homer? Yeah, so one infantry unit from your army can start to perform... Oh, sorry, four victory points every time you do this. Uh, one infantry unit from yep. your army can perform this in your movement phase if it's wholly within your opponent's deployment zone. Uh, it's completed at the uh, end of your next command phase, provided the unit is still wholly within your opponent's deployment zone. So this is behind enemy lines um, mm-hmm. from the old mission pack. I think this is pretty hard. I think for four points each time, I, I think this is a real hard ask, yeah. personally. It's a big ask because you have to hold through their turn. And you have to do it four times to max or really three times to yeah. get your, you know, any real value out of it. I can't see this mm-hmm. ever being picked over uh, over Scramblers. Scramblers gives you more points yeah. for being in their deployment zone once. Uh, it just it seems very difficult for what you're getting. Yeah, it, seems, um, it should be five points almost. And then you'd, you'd do it twice and be happy, you know? And the third time would just be the, the carrot on the stick. Um, Jess? It just depends on deployments. Like it depends on on their army. If they have an army that's very elite and very hard to zone you out from their whole deployment zone, um, like knights or something that's just hard to do, you might. And you've got an army that can blink into their deployment zone and threaten it from early on. Things like warp spiders or you know various other things that can deep strike. Maybe you might consider it because you it's a lot more feasible to max it. Mm. Yeah, yeah um, the, the warp spiders have got to live though, and that's what I that, that, that's what I there's a problem oh, this, with. What, does one. it have to stay for a whole turn? So, sorry, yeah, yeah it has to stay for the whole turn. Yeah. Oh, okay. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> never mind. It's just trash. Move on. Now, yeah, the only time I think you take this <laughs> is if you have the per, uh, like you have at least three units that are perfect for scoring it. You're against a perfect opponent, and you have probably got the perfect piece of terrain to deep strike into. And those are the only three. Th- if you can meet all those conditions, maybe. You take it. Even Man, then, you you're don't, never, like, you're never going to pick this. There's no way. <laughs> but, but, I'm trying to be nice to it, all right? Adam, I'll put 50 bucks right now <laughs> on nobody, not one person in the top eight at LVO this year picking this at all. For all, right, all, all right, of the games right. in the top eight. I'll give you, I'll give you the shadow round. I'll give you top 16. No one picks this. Okay, dude. If they do, I will I will timestamp exactly where I'm commentating on that hey, game. If they do it, Matt, you have to get a tattoo of a teleport home on you. <laughs> yes. Left, left butt cheek, and, teleport home. Adam gets to draw it. Adam gets to draw the art. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, this is great. You're on. You get a 50. Oh, so I have to give you a 50 if I lose. You get you get teleport home on your buttocks if, if, I, if you lose. Are you paying? Um, <laughs> Matt, I will pay for the tat if you're willing okay. to get it. And, okay. I get to okay. it. and I'm going to get oh, a terminated a teleport to it as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> moving on. Um, next section is Warcraft. This one, uh, first one's called uh, Paul the Witch. 
you cannot select this secondary objective if your army includes any psychic units. Uh, score five victory points at the end of the battle for each enemy psychic character unit that was is destroyed, and three victory points for each other enemy psychic unit that is destroyed. So this is the anti-psychic one. This is the like this is the one Tower takes against Grey Knights, right? Yeah. Because every unit you kill is worth three, essentially three kill points yes. for every unit, and every character is worth five, and you can't have any psychers, so it's just auto built in, right? Yep. Um, Jez, this, what do you think? This, the bad thing about this is it just makes Grey Knights bad. I don't think it makes them bad, but it does. I mean, it just simply says, like, this is the one you pick against Grey Knights. Can you just repeat it again? Sorry, just the way you score it. Um, Score five victory points at the end of the battle for each enemy psychic character unit that was destroyed, and three victory points for each other enemy psychic unit that is destroyed. Oh, does it not make Grey Knights? I mean, I, I think it makes Grey Knights bad. Because I, I, uh, <laughs> you heard it here first, broad sweeping no, statement actually, of the night. No, I'm actually going to go on record and say this is going to be the reason why Grey Knights players, not Grey Knights players, because Grey Knights players are going to play Grey Knights. This is going to be the reason that the you know Nick Nanavati's of the world play Grey Knights to make it work, and then they start realizing this is what's foiling them because it's just this unnecessary thing that exists that just screws them over. And yeah. they'll just stop playing uh, because why? So what you're you saying is this is this is the reason they go four and one at a GT instead of going five and yeah, eight. Yeah, it is. It is because it's a tight yeah. game. But then they, your opponent just got a free fifteen points. Fifteen. Whereas they oh, yeah. only, yeah, your opponent only had to pick two secondaries to the max. Whereas, um, you know, the that Grey Knight player has to find three. And I, I, I really think this is sorry. Go on, Matt. You go. So I, Matt's okay. Matt's a chaos player. He's yeah. played more psychers than any the me and Jez put together times five. You're going to have more like a more accurate say on this. What do you reckon, man? Well, no, I, I disagree with what Jeremy's saying purely because of the you can't pick this if you have a psyker in your army. So it's great for Tau. It's 100 percent great for Tau, but Tau suck at all the board control. Uh, um, okay, well that, that is true. Objectives. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't know. But can I just say though? I yeah, no, you, that's that's actually reasonable. Think um, about how many meta armies are going to have psychers, man. Look, look, let's let's just like all the marine armies, the, the psychers are good, and you're giving something up to not have one. All the chaos armies are going to have them. Eldar are going to have them. Well, like orcs are going to have them. Or, well, like, yeah, or, or, orcs are dog shit now, but um, or, orcs would have oh, or, or, orcs would have psychers if uh, you know, if they were meta. I, I actually, this is perfectly balanced, honestly. No, I, 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 still, I still stand by my I stand by my uh, my comment that this is just it's just a it unnecessary. Yeah, but like, okay, let's just say there's a meta. I'm just, this is just a, a perspective. Like, let's just say there's a meta where Grey Knights are really strong. A lot of people are playing Grey Knights. And then you're sitting there writing your Space Marines list, and your Space Marines list might put a Libby in. You might have a Libby in your list for a specific power, a specific thing, which, no, bear in mind, you have to specify in your list your powers now. Yep. So you, a lot of people just say, no, it's a Grey Knight meta. Lots of people are picking Grey Knights. No, I'm not going to take that Libby. As good as a Libby is, I'm just going to spend the points on a Chaplain instead. Whatever. Um, yeah, but the, the difference is, Jens. Yeah. The, the difference is, right, there's a difference between it being a Grey Knight meta and this making Grey Knights bad. So if there is truly a Grey Knight meta, this is a good counter to it for armies that don't have psychers. But if Grey Knights are just on par, nobody is going to say, I'm going to pull my Libby out for that one game in three tournaments where I play Grey Knights so I can no. get an extra five points on my secondary. Where I could no, be, be instead Grey of Knight, getting 10, I'll be getting better. And the only but thing Grey Knight players might do as well is take like, instead of going like MSU-ish, they might take like two big Paladin units 
um, or even like more, like lots of big units that are hard to finish off. So that your yeah, opponent instead of taking, struggles instead to match of taking strike marines, you take terminators, you start doubling yeah, down on the reason choices. I, I feel yeah. I feel the need. So now that we've said the Grey Knights are bad and Orcs are bad, I feel do feel the need to say that Matt Morisoli and Jeremy Marigold's uh, opinions do not reflect the opinions of the Art of War down on the podcast. They don't reflect the opinions of Adam Camilleri, but please feel free to continue, gentlemen. <laughs> oh well, no, they, they, they are bad right now. It doesn't mean they, no, it doesn't mean they're going to stay bad though, right? Orcs yeah. took some really big hits with the changes. Uh, and I have no doubt that they'll get bounced back to you know to a good position. Oh, absolutely, I have but no right, doubt either. But right, right now they are bad. There are there are a lot of things that really really hurt the orc armies that were good before. I again I, I have full faith that they will bounce back and they will be viable again. But right now they're not. Uh, let's maybe we should skip past the grey knight discussion. And just talk about the secondary in a yeah. in a yeah. wider sense. In a vacuum, um, yeah. I I think it's pretty good, and I think that. In some matchups where you can stack this and uh, Headhunter or Kingslayer or Assassinate, whatever it's bloody called. Um, I think it's called Assassinate now, isn't it? Uh, it there's, is, yeah. some, there's some good synergy in there as well. I don't think it's busted. I also don't think it's an auto-take, even if your opponent has a bunch of psychers. I think it's very matchup dependent, and it really depends on what's in your army and your ability to, to remove these units. But so where, where, where I think this does make some options bad, you think it's into demons. You think things like are Brimstone's Horrors a psychic unit? Or is it only horrors? Yeah, no, Brimstone Horrors are psychic. Like, you're just like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> well, yeah, it sure does. <laughs> yeah. But also, um, no one's going to be running mass Brimstone units anymore. No, no one. Points, well, so. you, you never know. Someone, maybe someone was filling out a secondary battalion just take three, three, units of, three times three units of Brimstones because they didn't have any more Nurgling bases, I guess. But, um, yeah, we'll but have you, to move on from there. You wouldn't pick it for nine points, I don't think. So, again, I, I, I think it's in a pretty balanced place. I think it is. If Grey Knights weren't, a th- yeah, with the exception of Grey Knights, I think it's fine. A great, I, I, it just sucks that there, there is one secondary here that just really punishes one army. Um, but yeah, moving on. Mental interrogation. Uh, score three victory points each time you successfully complete the following action. Psychic action. Um, a mental interrogation is a psychic power. Warp charge four. One psychic character from your. Uh, army can attempt to perform this psychic action in your psychic phase if it is within 18 inches of any enemy character models. And it's so it's it's warp charge four. So just don't roll snakes or one and a two, and you get this off. And within eight, of course, you can be denied though. It's within 18 inches of a character as well. And um, it's three victory points each turn. So you do need to do it five times. I feel like I should hit this one over to Jez because you take pocket um, Libby's more than I do. What do you think, man? Um, no, I don't like it. It's, it's bad. It's horrendous. It's, I don't it's like us to do a five. It's times. horrendous. Not only that, but you—that's that's your power on your Libby. So, like, if you've taken a Libby, like, I mean, I'm, I'm just obviously there's different different like codexes take different uh, characters for different reasons, but there generally is a reason why you took that character. Um, and then you're sacrificing that power and also being so close to your opponent, you could say, "No, I'm going to screen you out, so you can't be within 18 of my character." You just physically can't do it. You can't cast it. This is a horrendous. This is horrendous. Like for this to be even viable, it would have to be maybe maybe five or even more, like six points per cast. But at three points per cast, it's absolute garbage. So from my mind, uh, I think that was. I, I actually do not disagree with anything you just said there. For, so yeah, it's a threefold issue with this. You need to do it. Uh, you need to do it at least like three times to get any decent quantity of. Um, 
of mileage out of it. If you're doing that, if you have a psyker that can be within 18 inches of your opponent and gaining you points and your opponent just leaves it alone, you're probably already absolutely dominating that game and there was a better choice already. Like if you yeah, can have okay. a psyker that can yeah. be exposed and that close to the enemy for that long and it's gaining points and, and they don't do anything about it, they can't do anything about it and you would have gotten 15 points off a, a multitude of other things. Um, if they can do something about it, you get to score this once. They're like, oh, he's going to get three, to, three points next turn if he does that. I'm going to go send over five intercessors and kill that guy very easily. Um, Matt, anything to add? Sorry, go on. Go on, Matt. Um, no, no, you finish. Look, I, I see this and I don't think it's very good. I think um, there are some niche situations like Araman on a disc is not bad at it. He moves forward with an advance. He does it. He warp times himself away. But you're giving up a lot of, uh, a lot of offense by doing this. So I, I don't think it's very good. All right, so we'll move on from there. So this next one is called Psychic Ritual. Matt, would you like to read it out? Yeah, sure. This one is score 15 if you do this uh, this action three times. Um, so it's one psychic character from your army you can attempt to perform this action if you're within six of the center of the battlefield. So you've got to do it three times in a five-turn game. Um, again, I think Araman will actually do this really well. Uh, this one, the trade-off might actually be worth it uh, to, uh, to give up a couple of powers and warp time him and you know, get him on there and back. It's a very achievable 15 points. It really depends on your opponent's ability to control the center of the board, I think. Uh, Legit, is this just a better version of the first one? Uh, well, yes and no, right? Because in in the first one, they're trying to screen off specific characters. This one, if they take the center of the board, they take the center of the board and you can't really do anything about it. Well, what I like about this one is no terms and conditions here. There's no, your yep. opponent can be in the center of the board too. You don't have to come. You just stay outside engagement range. You can technically be in combat with them. It doesn't matter. So you could walk up there, turn one, charge onto the middle of the, of the table, survive somehow through a turn if you're really bulky or you're Magnus or something. Chuck out this power, jump back, do a lot of other things. Um, I like this one a lot more. Jez, anything to add? Well, this one, uh, people will obviously be noticing, completes the trifecta of selections that you just pick, like engage on all fronts, um, let's say investigate sites, which requires you to be in the middle of the board, and psychic ritual. And if you pick those three, uh, you know, obviously um, we know that engage on all fronts doesn't work if you're in the middle, but I'm not saying the same units are capturing this altogether. I'm just saying if you have your army that picks those three, you're basically, all you're doing is just p- getting your secondaries off maneuvering. You don't require to kill anything. And as a result, I think you'll find it's a trifecta that'll be very common um, where people don't pick while we stand, we fight, which is to protect the three expensive characters. They'll be picking the psychic ritual and using a character like Araman to do that. Um, and the fact that it only needs to happen three times makes it very attractive. Not only that, it is so powerful that it's going to scare opponents into thinking, oh my God, they pick Psychic Ritual, they have Investigate Sites, I need to defend the middle of the board. And then they're playing into what you you wanted them to do. Like they're coming into the middle and your army's designed to go out there and absolutely f- fight in that close quarters and you'll win the game just because they, they're feeling like they have to adapt to you. So I think it's probably one of the best ones so far that we've looked at. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And so and just in wrapping up what you were saying, so you could have somebody, so you could have, um, you could have one unit in one table quarter. So you, you couldn't do it. You couldn't engage in all fronts from the middle of the board. That's the only one that, that is counter to what, what you said, because you need to, you can't be within six of the middle of the board to get engaged with all fronts, but oh, you, you can, can have with, one you can. unit. You, you can be within three to get the, uh, the two points. So if you're not going to get the three points, 
then you can be within no, three. Can't. So, so, so score two victory points and end your turn if you have one or more units in wholly within three different table quarters, and those units are more than six inches from the center of the battlefield. Oh, I'm thinking of the wrong one. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, so you have, no, you have to be. You can't I, I, be within yeah. six. But I wasn't so saying like, that. Though. You're gone. Sorry, Adam. But yeah, but the combo you said that is perfect. Investigating uh, investigating sites and psychic ritual is perfection. You have a character that's getting screened by a unit. The unit does investigate sites. The character does psychic ritual. That's a huge amount of points if they get to do that for two or three turns of a game. Like, and that's just that's, that could be like hundred points worth of models or less. That just picks up all those points for you. I think that's really cool. Well, and there could be an objective uh, there as well that you that you're trying exactly to win the right. primary. Like that's why it's so good. Yeah, I think that's a really good pickup. Um, Matt, you want to read the last one, the very last one's Pierce the Veil. Absolutely. Oh, what a great emo band from uh, my youth. <laughs> <laughs> no oh. one needed to do that. <laughs> uh, all good. All righty, let's do this. Last one. Score eight victory points at the end of the battle if one or more units from your army successfully completed the following psychic actions twice. Or 15 if one or more units completed the action four times or more during the battle. All right. One psychic character from your army can attempt to form the psychic action during your psychic phase if you are within six inches of your opponent's battlefield edge and more than six inches from enemy models. This is a much worse version uh, of Psychic Ritual. <laughs> uh, it's also okay. more warp charge than Psychic Ritual for some reason. It is. Um, it, is. It, has more, so, it has more and worse terms and conditions. Yeah, look, you're never going to pick this when you can pick Psychic Ritual. Uh, I, I, I really just I don't see it uh, ever being picked when Psychic Ritual's on the board. And you have to do it four times to get 15 points in your... You have to stay in your opponent's deployment zone for four turns to get 15 mm-hmm. points out of this, or you could be in the middle of the table for three turns to get 15 points out of one. And, and it's, it's a just, character it's, too. Like, it's going to be... Yeah, it's, you're spending some points on this guy who's going to be going scoring mm-hmm. these points. Well, suddenly, like, guess, yeah. Sorry. The only trade-off here is that... Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll bow out. You guys go. <laughs> no, you go, man. You go. You got the most the, to say on the, this. The only trade-off here is that you can get a return from doing it twice when you need to do three times for, uh, for Psychic Ritual. That's true. But, yeah. But look, Psychic Ritual is better. Yeah, it's it, unfortunately you can just do a straight comparison between the three mental interrogation, Psychic Ritual, and Pierce the Veil, and Psychic Ritual wins every comparison at every level. Um, it, it's it's a bit rough that actually. Um, and so if you're going to pick of the two, you're either going to pick a Border Witch because you know you're going to get 15 points out of it because you're playing against an army that is going to give you psychic guys. Just, sorry, or or you've you've got a you've got a guy who picks Pierce the Veil against you, and you're like, well, I guess I'm taking a Border Witch because I know you're going to give me points. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, that rounds out the secondaries, guys. Any any overall thoughts? I mean, the the gradient between what is good and what is bad is. I, I don't want to say it's really vast, but it feels like there's a huge gap, yeah? Um, look, I think there is enough good that there's going to be an interesting secondary metagame, but there are some yep. that are obviously not very good. Yeah, Jez? Well, I think it's there is going to be the metagame. I think the fact that we kind of, you know, it's, it's very uh, obvious how powerful like Psychic Ritual and those things like Raise the Banners or Investigate Sites are, I think that means that because the primary is also so important and we know that, you know, the game is going to be one fighting on the in the middle of the table, it just mm. means all competitive lists will already be doing that. So you'll have people that, and this all gets done um, secretly, doesn't it? 
Yeah, you, you ride three down, then reveal them simultaneously. Yeah, so you ride them simultaneously. So you'll have two people. You might go. You might play a couple of tournaments where you realize, oh my god, like final table, both me and my opponent both picked Psychic Ritual. We both picked Investigate Sites, and the game just came down to who had the middle of the board for longer. Mm. So when that's the case, uh, the game just becomes a, a scrap fight of just who who won the middle of the board. Everyone throwing everything they have at the middle of the board. Once that happens, and I think that might take a certain amount of time for that metagame to resolve, there might be a bit of nuance where people say, well, I know my opponent's going to do that, so I'm going to pick snipers so that they can't do that because I'll snipe out their characters, and I'm going to pick more dependable things that I can achieve. So I think there will be an obvious metagame and, and thing that things the way things will evolve over time. But if you want to win a tournament it's coming up next week, then just build around Psychic Ritual and Investigate Sites. That's mm. what I would say. Yeah, I think I think you're not wrong there. But I, I do like what what Matt said. I think there is enough meat on the bone here that there is going to be varied and interesting and exciting gameplay between the nuanced uh, picks between this. And there are there is a lot of potential to score a very safe eight points from Raise the Banners or a potential to be risky in a, in a tougher matchup and go for the 15 uh, and the big scores and the big swings. And I like that a lot. I feel like that gives a lot of... Um, a lot of flavor, a lot of intrigue, and a lot of excitement to missions as well. I um, all right. I, I, Sorry, I feel back. like com- compared to the ITC secondaries, these are a lot more interactive. Whereas your opponent has a lot more say on what you can and can't score. Yeah, especially towards the end of the the last set of the ITC missions, it felt like you it, the 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 secondaries were so easy to score or to get very close to maxing on. It was like it felt like getting three points on every secondary it was very simple. Whereas this. There is some legitimate give and take for, on the vast majority of them, the ones that aren't just simply board control ones. There is a lot of things to consider. I'm actually a big fan after going through those guys and the, 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 the amount we could just talk about how good the picks are versus some others. It pretty, it pretty much means there's some stuff worthy to consider. Yeah. All right. We are going to take an ad break now. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk to Strike Force missions, guys. We're going to go through each of the nine Strike Force missions and just give you some, give you a rundown of them, give you some thoughts on how we think, how they think they play, how well we think they'll go. Um, so we're going to take an ad break now. You hear from some wonderful sponsors and uh, wonderful people involved with uh, the Frontline Gaming Network, who have been lovely enough to let us have our podcast on their platform. So yeah, join us after the break. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're going to be jumping in and talking about these Strike Force missions. We could talk about the Incursion missions, but we ain't got that kind of time. Nobody's got that kind of time. If you're into them, you're into them. They're great. But uh, we're going to be talking about the Strike Force missions because these are the ones that, as tournament gamers, we're most likely to be coming in contact with. Now, the first one is called Retrieval Mission, and some people might know this name. Some of the names of you know some of the names of these are as an age as, uh, as old as time. Now, I will say that the primary objective is the same for all of these. You get um, five points. Sorry. Um, at the end of each player's command phase, the player whose turn it is scores five points for each of the following conditions. They satisfy for a maximum of 15 points per turn. Um, they control one or more objectives. They control two or more objectives. And they control more objective markers than their opponent controls. 
um, this cannot be scored in the first turn. So you have four turns of scoring for the primary, um, and you can score 15 points per turn. So that's a max of 60 points from the primary, I believe. That's, that's correct. And so, yeah, that's right. 30, yeah, yeah, I'm not crazy. Yeah, but I think you can only have a differential of maximum differential. No, I think you can only get 50, right? Isn't that, or am I missing something? No, 60. Not 60. I thought I read somewhere. Yeah, and, okay, go on, sorry. Yeah, no worries. And so that's the same for all of these. All the ones that we're touching, we're not going to bother touching that again because it is, it is the same. We're going to touch on it again in the context of what the missions are. Now, the first one, and all these missions have a specific mission secondary that you can choose. And uh, the first one for this one from Retrieval Mission is Minimize Losses. This is an endgame objective. At the start of the battle, add up the number of units in your army. This is your army strength if your unit uh, splits. Guys, just, sorry, before, can I, Adam, can I just interrupt? Yeah, sure. Um, it does say at the in the at the end, like when it talks about the sequence where it says determine victor. It says at the end yep. of the battle, the player with the most victory points is the winner. If the players are tied, the battle is draw. Each player can score a maximum of forty-five points from primary, and a maximum mm-hmm. of forty-five from secondary. There you go. Yeah. So you Perfect. And get, then there's the ten points. Get, yeah. Yeah, the 10 points allocated for having a battle rowdy army. And uh, as controversial as that is, we're not going to touch it today. <laughs> um, thanks, Jess. Should we uh, start again? No, that's fine. That's cool. We learn as we go as much as anybody else does. Um, so yeah, minimize losses. At the start of the battle, add up the total number of units in your army. This is your army's strength. If a unit splits to form um, two or more individual units during the battle, then immediately increase your army's strength accordingly. Um, if a unit merges... Uh, then uh, decrease your army strength, blah, blah, blah. You get the idea. At the end of the battle, add up how many units from your army are left on the battlefield, including all units embarked within transports, but excluding units that have been added to your army during the battle. If the total is 75% or more of your army's strength, score 15 victory points. If it's 75% or less, but 50% or more, score 10. If it's 50%, if so, it's between 50 and 25%, you score five victory points. So if you've if you get wiped, you get zero. If you're under 25%, I'm assuming you get zero. But 25 to 50%, as five points, yeah, 50 to 75, 10 points, 75, and up is 15 points. Um, and then the so uh, then the actual mission. So this mission is uh, Hammer and Anvil deployment, even though it's not named anymore. There's no names for deployments anymore, which is interesting. Um, this is on the short table edge, and you deploy 24 inches away from your opponent. So it is, um, yeah, and then you have one, two, three, four. It's a six-objective mission, one in each, each deployment zone, and then four um, being placed eight inches from the center of the table, so they're 16 inches away. What do you guys think straight off the bat? Firstly, what do you think of that secondary? Uh, Jez, jump in first. Um, yeah, so just run me through. So with that secondary, is that something that – is that like a unique secondary? To this mission, yeah. You can only pick that secondary on this mission. I see. Okay, I get it. Yeah, I just wanted to clarify. I mean, it's okay. I think it's it's not bad. There's some some armies where you'll say, yeah, I'm pretty certain I can – I don't have a, a great secondary that I would otherwise choose, so you might pick it. But I don't think it's fantastic. I, I really think if you're if you value if you respect your opponent, you probably assume you'll have some attrition. Um, if you don't respect your opponent, then other secondaries would be equally viable. So I, I think it's just very mediocre. So Matt, adding on to that, this is a six objective mission um, with fairly deep deployment zones. Um, what do you think of that in context with the secondary? Uh, look, I, I think. It, this is a very terrain-dependent one. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, it depends on how many units you have in your army as well. I think given that there are four objectives in No Man's Land, it's going to be very, very tough to keep your your small, uh, your, your objective grabber units alive. Yeah. Uh, and I think yeah. kind of for that reason, 
you might be able to score 15 points on this uh, on this secondary, but you're going to be giving up a lot of points on primary to uh, yeah to uh, to make that happen. This seems like a good pick when you know you're probably going to lose the primary and want to get a decent amount of points as, as well. So you can play a pretty passive game, fight for two, sometimes three objectives when it, it's safe to do so. But you can play pretty passive and pretty defensively and still score a good amount of points on this. But the, the thing is, like, you're giving up a potential 45 points to score what is amounts to 15. That doesn't always equate. It's, it's like you almost want to pick this one when you, you're pretty sure you're going to lose, which just seems weird to think. Like, if you think you're going to get crushed, this is a good secondary. I hate that I said that. <laughs> that being said, though, in this uh, this mission here, it's pretty easy to score uh, to score 10 points to turn on primary. You only have to hold one of those four in the center and the one exactly in the right. yeah. So, yeah. look, I, that, that being so, I, I think it'd be pretty easy to see yourself, even in a losing game, scoring 40 points from this primary. And maybe if you, that's what you're playing for and you are hiding the rest of the units of your army, maybe minimize losses is, you know, is viable. Um just doesn't scream uh, scream out as any better than uh, than the other ones we've just talked about. And 1250 points if two objective markers were so removed. So you don't get any points uh, for a third one, but there is no third one. because this is, So this the deployment map for this one is what we would call Dawn of War. It is the long-edge deployments, and um, you are 24 inches away from your opponent. So 12 inches, each, everyone's deploying 12 inches away from the, the center of the battlefield. Uh, this is another six-objective mission. Now, there's two objectives that are placed... Um, 12 inches from the center line of the table um, in uh, just on the edge of your deployment zone and just on the edge of your opponent's deployment zone. The one on your opponent's deployment zone, uh, their objectives, one on yours and yours. You can only raise the ones that are starting on your opponent's line. And so you can, if so to, to do this raise objective, you have to get into, essentially for all intents and purposes, you have to be right up in their face and controlling one of their home objectives. That feels hard to do. Um, and yeah. so the only reason that feels hard to do is that um, can only attempt to raise the objective markers labeled B, and there can only be raised, and no enemy units are within range of that objective marker. So it's not that you control it over them; they have to have zero units, zero units on it to stop to, to do it. Yeah. Any thoughts, boys? I think I think it's very difficult as a secondary. I think as a mission special rule, it's fine, and you might play for it uh, mm. just by taking yep. some some primary points away from your opponent. Uh, but yeah. As a secondary objective, it feels very difficult to achieve for me, especially because you have to do it at the start of your mm. movement phase. Uh, it's just, yeah. it, it feels like a like a hard ask to me. Mm. Jess, anything to add? I agree with you got both, both of what you've said. I think it's too difficult to really justify the 12 points. But um, yeah, it's an interesting. So I will note though that this, between this and the last mission that we've looked at, um, you know, it's so far two missions that have, four objectives in no man's land kind of all, or at least central objectives like this one. Yeah. They, they, well, it's not, they're kind of all clustered around the center of the board, bearing in mind mm. that the table is smaller now. Um, you know, if you're in that middle, even though there's no objective in the middle of the board, controlling the middle of the board is incredibly important. You'll have access to every objective on the table. If you control yeah. the middle. It's, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so I think the, the mission, I think Jed, Matt said it the best. The mission special rule is is an, is an opportunity point. If you have the opportunity to burn your opponent's objective, you just do it, don't you? Um, but it's you wouldn't double down in thinking that with any confidence saying that you're going to do it from the outset of the game. It would just be like, hey, I'm in a good position now. I could probably get away with it. Here we go. Um, well, can we clarify so that yeah, you can do it, can you? So you can just do it um, regardless of whether you pick the secondary. It's a mission special rule. You, you don't need to pick yes. the secondary to do it. You just get some points if you if you do it and you pick the secondary. So you can always do it. Okay. Yep. 
So yeah, it's just an opportunity cost. I think if you if you can pull it off, you pull it off. If you can't, uh, then no harm, no foul. Um, you don't. And it's not something you want to back yourself into a corner having to do to get some points. Um, next one is vital intelligence. Either of you guys have this up? Uh, I do. This one again without a uh, without deployment uh, names anymore. It's essentially uh, what would have been Vanguard Strike. So it's the uh, the weird diagonal corners here. Um, Cool. So the uh, mission special rule for this one, uh, the objective markers in this mission represent data terminals. Uh, in this mission, you control objective marker at the end of your command phase. It remains under your control unless your opponent comes and uh, controls it at the end of any subsequent phase. So essentially, if you hold this objective, it's kind of like raised banners. If you hold it and you move off it, you still hold it until your opponent comes and gets mm. it. Um, mm-hmm. The secondary for this one uh, is called data intercept. So each time a unit from your army successfully completes the following action, you score a number of victory points equal to the number of objective markers you currently control. So one unit from your army can attempt to perform this action at the end of the movement phase if it's within range of, of, of an objective marker and there are no enemy units uh, in range except for planes. Um, this action is completed at the end of your next command phase as so long as the unit is still on that objective. So essentially every time you do it, and you would be doing it every turn if you could, uh, you score a number of secondary points equal to the number of objectives you hold uh, at your next command phase. Yeah, so but you have to hold them through to your next command phase. Yeah, that, that's ex- exactly right. So, well, mm. let, let, let's just actually have a look at that because that could be incorrect. Each time a unit from your army successfully completes the following action, you score a number of victory points equal to the number of objective markers you currently control. So if you were controlling one objective, you started performing this action, uh, and then mm-hmm. through whatever, if, if you're in combat somewhere and you actually end up winning that combat and you then control an additional objective, you would score the number of points in your command phase, not the number of points that you would have been uh, holding when you performed the action. Yeah, yeah. So you can, can you can start the action, go through a fight phase, a psychic phase, a shooting phase, kill off a bunch of other stuff, gain another one, and then when you come back around to it, you could have increased or decreased the amount of objectives you hold. Exactly, yes. I, yeah, this has some pretty cool applications. Now, for those who are unaware, this is a very interesting one when you take into account how the objectives are placed. You've got one in your deployment zone, one in your opponent's deployment zone, and then four running down the diagonal line from uh, left to right um, of the, the the center line of the table, I guess, diagonally. And so there's four along that line, and they're all pretty, essentially pretty close to each other. I mean, they're all within 12 inches. Um, so, Jez, what can you see being the applications for this? Do you think there is much merit to this secondary? Um, I think it's interesting. I think with can, can you just uh, remind me of how many points you get per? So it's at one point per objective. Uh, per objective you control. Okay, yeah. I mean that, that's pretty solid, and especially as you guys said, like if you are planning to have a turn where you think I'm going to seize, I think I'll be able to hold three for a while. But then mm. again, it's still it's still hard even with three um, to to get like. I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't really think it's great to be honest. Um, it does. But, um, it does stack with raise the banners though, and it's kind of rewarding mm. for doing the same thing. So if you've got an army that's really good at you know raised banners, this kind of stacks with it. Yeah, yeah that's very true. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, where I like it is that you can plan. You can plan for a big turn with this. You can plan to get five points in a turn with the, the proper application of this. I mean, it's very unlikely, but if you, let's, let's say like turn five, yeah, you can plan to get five points of this if you're in a very dominant position. Like you hold one objective, you turn on, you start activating it, and then you just go blitzkrieg on your opponent on the last turn. And like you said, with Blaze to Banners, you can score five points at the end of the game if for each one you control at the end of the turn. 
So uh, this, this, one doesn't, this one doesn't let you score on turn five, though. So you'd have to do it on turn uh, four. Yeah. yeah good, good, good pickup. But yeah, you could essentially do the same thing turn four, but then you'd have to hold them through to turn five to get the effect on banners. Yeah. So you'd have to be in a crazy strong position on turn three to even have a shot at it. Yeah, uh, I actually think you wouldn't pick raised banners in this mission. I actually think in this mission... Um, you wouldn't pick that or raise banners. And if, if you're the type of army that wants to do those things, I mean, maybe you would have to, but like, I just feel like this is an emission where it's actually viable to just really just go and kill your opponent. Um, it feels know, like it, it doesn't feel like this favors anybody very much. This, it, the, the objectives are so central and are so in this, this like, neutral line that you just it's almost like it's telling you this is going to be an absolute slugfest of a game i don't know why but i just get this feeling i I don't like this mission much i feel like it's um it it feels like it would get really messy to me uh yeah the the other two feel quite um i don't know i feel good rocking up to this mission but this one i i just feel like it would be a messy game i just get that vibe from it's super dependent on terrain like especially because it's a hammer and anvil like if I almost oh, think sorry, this mission requires terrain to be assigned for it. Like if you just go to a random table and roll this mission up, it's like, oh, okay. You know, I feel like the terrain needs to be set up to have, to give a very synchronous experience. Yeah, because it is quite. It's like you said, it's quite uh, obvious that at some tables that I've been on in the last year or so, you'd have two or three of these objectives that are in absolute bowling ball land can be seen by everybody all the time and one or two of them may be completely and utterly obscured and there could be one player that can get a tech advantage of that very quickly and the other one can't so there is stuff like that but i just feel like this is a mission where one player is going to get dominated quickly um on the scoreboard like one player is going to go and, and grab three objectives and then shoot the other guy off the other two very easily or keep them off it from contesting them um but yeah well this is okay. something that might come up like just before we move on just because it might come up later but to get the 10 points per turn from primary, you actually have to extend yourself pretty far. You do. As far as – you extend yourself the same distance for every objective. It doesn't matter which one. There's no there's no um, lily pad hopping from one objective to another. It's the same extension for every single one of them. Yeah, yeah. I think that the army that can just move in and just kind of just say, look, exactly. all the objectives will just get – yeah, you'll just be a scrap fight for those objectives, I think. Or you might see one army pivot towards one side, like – like in, if you look at the the you know one army might pivot left and hold two, and then the other army mm. might pivot to their left and hold two, and you'll the armies will kind of just resume more of a kind of uh, a different type of position. I don't know, but it's tough to say. Yeah, I think that's where it comes back to what we said about terrain. The terrain will make it very plain about which objectives you have a chance at. Yeah, I think um, I think gunline armies will sort of pivot up towards the uh, I guess the the topmost left hand side objective if you're looking at the the deployment here and they'll try and make it into hammer yeah. and anvil and the other armies will sort of yeah, go the yeah. other way and they'll try and make it into like a, a pitch battle dawn of war style thing um yeah look it, it it just feels like a messy mission it just feels like mm. uh it's a mad rush to get these objectives and there's just going to be this scrappy fights all over the board which is not necessarily a like bad it, thing um but it's just uh I, I i think it would be very scrappy i think it's a two or three turn game this one and that's a weird thing to yeah. say but I feel like whoever gets dominance early is probably going to win. Yep, I would um, agree. So next one is Surround and Destroy. 
this one does not have a specific um, mission special rule, but the secondary for this one is called Surroundum. Uh, score four drifty points at the end of your command phase and at the end of the battle if you control both the objective markers in your deployment zone and one or more objective markers in your opponent's deployment zone. Score eight drifty points instead if you control all four objective markers that are in deployment zones. And so the deployment for this, this is once again what we would call a Dawn of War, but you are 14 inches away from each other instead of, sorry, you are 28, 28 inches away from each other instead of being uh, 24. So your deployment zones are even shallower than they, they would have been otherwise. Now, there is, uh, this is another six-objective mission. Um, there's two placed centrally that are both 10 inches away from the exact middle of the board. And then there's um, four objectives, two placed shallowly um, into each deployment zone. I think that's two inches into each deployment zone. Is that correct? If it's 14 inches away from each other, that seems like it'd be about two or three inches yeah. in from each Oh, no, it is. No, so, sorry. So you, you deploy 24 away, but those objectives are 28 away. So that, that line is yeah, the objective. Yeah. So they are two inches into your deployment, sir. Yeah, exactly right. So um, just think, going back to the secondary again, 50, four victory points into your command phase, and at the end of the battle, if you control both objective markers in your deployment zone and one or more objective markers in your opponent's deployment zone. So you need to hold both in yours and one in theirs for four, and all four, so all four in the deployment zones for eight. I'm yeah. just like if you if you're taking this, you're like, oh mate, I am going to get 100 points this game, and there's nothing you can do about it. I feel like this is like the cockiest pick you could have ever. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I feel like that's a terrible secondary. What this one feels like is one of the ITC bonus points, and it almost feels like this is a hmm. pretty pretty hard to get, but uh, if you get it, good for you. Have an extra point. Um, yep. This one, it just it, it, it strikes me as being so difficult to achieve, given that you have to be on it at the start of your command phase. Oh, sorry, the end of your command phase. Uh, if you're getting this, you're winning, right? If you're getting this objective, you, you've probably already won the game. You've already won, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, what, what I will say though, this object, this mission, and this objective setup is great for the type of board control uh, and uh, raise banners type secondary combo that we were talking about earlier that Jeremy was talking about. It's very easy to get two objectives with banners on them first turn where you're, you're guaranteed that and then to walk up and take one of the ones in the center and sort of force your opponent to come and get it off you. Th this one is just, this is the, the prime example of where that uh, secondary combination is really, really strong. Mm. It also I, shows you just if you have an army that just moves into the middle of the board, if you have some units on your backfield objectives and you just move into the middle and you're really contesting those two middle objectives, you're setting yourself up to be getting the 15-point the primary advantage quite easily. And that's quite a common theme in these objectives, but it does go to show that, you know, it, it will be very significant to be... Because not only will you be contesting those secondaries, but you will be setting up that primary win as well. Yeah. And realistically, yeah, if you can take the two home objectives in your opponent's deployment zone, you've probably already taken the two in the middle of the table. Oh, and yeah. So you've said... Yeah. Yeah. You're going to control every, all six objectives. This shouldn't say control the two in your opponent's deployment zone because if you can control those two, you're going to control all, all six, essentially. Um, and when it says surround them, it should just say utterly, utterly dominate them. Yeah. I, I, do, I don't mind this mission, though. I like the layout of the, of the, the objectives. I like, I like the format. I don't, I'm not sure how much I like the shallow deployment zone, as, though. It feels like it's going to be bad for some archetypes and some armies. Yeah, we'll see, I guess. Um, mm. I, I think the armies that are going to be good this edition, again, are going to be board control armies or or very durable armies. And the ones that are super durable aren't going to mind taking one more turn to get to the center if they're going to hold yeah. that for the rest of the game. Um, mm. But, yeah, look, th th this one just feels like it's all about board control. It's kind of the opposite of the, yeah. the previous one, actually. The one, yeah. 
Mm. Really, actually, that's a really good juxtaposition. And you were, what you said about the, the ITC bonus point was so freaking spot on, man. That's, as soon as you said it, I was like, but it so is. It's crazy. That's why you're paying um, the big bucks. <laughs> they pay the big bucks. Uh, pay <laughs> the big brain. Um, all right, next one, Battle Lines. You want to read this one, Matt? Oh, look, I reckon I could. Uh, so this one is a Hammer and Anvil style <laughs> deployment again. Oh. <laughs> um, so again, uh, we're, you start 24 away from each other uh, on the short edges there. There are just four objectives in this one, and they're in a, a, uh, in a cross. So you've got one of them, which is six inches deep in the center of your deployment zone, and then you've got two each that are uh, 14 inches up and down from the center. So they're sort of in a, a plus sign style uh, layout here. Um, there's no, uh, no mission special rule for this one. So the secondary is called Vital Ground. Uh, at the end of each of your command phases, you score three victory points if you control the objective marker in your de- opponent's deployment zone and two victory points for each objective marker you control that's not in either player's deployment zone. So it's uh, three for the one in your opponent's deployment zone, two for the two, sorry, two each for the two in no man's land um, for a max of seven each turn, but you can't score it in the first battle round, which I think is great because putting uh, two, squ- mm. sorry, two squads of Nurglings on that and cheesing four points would be pretty yeah. rude. It would be pretty rude. Um- I'm I'm not a huge fan of this, Jez. What do you think? Uh, I mean, it, it's it's that secondary is interesting because it it really does kind of something like raise the banners is not good in this mission, but it kind of yeah. you, if you were going to pick raise the banners, you'd kind of pick that in this mission. Yeah, instead go into yeah. the go just string along the middle and take those objectives and just start popping four a turn from two onwards. Um, and obviously, if you can get your opponents, it's a bonus. But this does this mission does go to show. How like if you build an army around um, something like hold the middle and the the psychic power one that you cast in the middle, how like just how important that is and how strong it is. Because if yeah. your army's powerful, it just you don't you look at something like this, you say, oh, this would normally be quite a, a difficult game to play. You, you kind of think, well, no, I know what I'm going to do. I've already got my secondaries picked. I, in the sense, my army's built around being able to do that. Now I just need to go out into the center of the board while taking one of the flanking objectives. And if you're in the center of the board taking either the left or the right middle objective uh, or center mm-hmm. objective, then you're not only are you holding your objectives, but then you're threat you're really making it difficult for your opponent to get two objectives because then they have to come yeah. out into your army. Yeah. Exactly yeah. right, Matt. This really favors armies that want to go to the middle, I think. Mm. Yeah, I actually this don't is- mind this. Oh, sorry, you go, Adam. You were you were first. No, no, I- this is almost one where you look at this, and if you know this is going to be um, a mission you're going to play at a tournament, you could almost just write down your secondaries on this piece of paper underneath the mission. Because this is one where you just like, there's only four objectives. It's I, I'm going to always take these two these two ones, just so I don't even have to think about it. You just write them on the paper in pencil, so you can rub it out later, of course. And then you put like a post-it over or something. Or something. But um, like I do like this one. As soon as you said like instead of taking raise the banners, this is the obvious choice, isn't it? And if you take this one plus those two that reward you from just taking and holding ground, you, you just you're gonna get a decent score. There's there's no two ways about it. I feel like you could really play around this unless someone does exactly the same thing as you and you both walk up with the same secondaries, and then you're gonna have a shit fight, an absolute shit fight in the middle. Um, Matt, what do you got to say? Yeah, it's really synergistic with um with uh, what's recon called? I don't even know what recon's called now. With uh with being in all four corners of the board, um or three mm-hmm. corners of the board, it's, it's incredibly synergistic with that. Um, at first glance, it kind of looks a bit average, but it is pretty consistent. Like you know, if you've yeah. got the right army for it, if you, if you're not too scared of being overwhelmed, uh, and if the terrain's sort of right, I think this is a very terrain dependent pick. 
think it's a very competitive one uh, in the right circumstances. No, I agree. I actually quite like this mission. I think it'll be a lot yeah. of fun. And it's, it's one that doesn't have six objectives. Everything we've talked about so far has six objectives. Um, but this next one only has four as well. This one's the Scouring, um, which is the name of them. Yeah, this, this mission has been with us forever, this name. Um, the second objective here is Strategic Scan. Uh, if you select its objective, then units in your army can perform the following action. Uh, one or more units of your army uh, can start to perform this action at the end of your movement phase. Each unit from your army that starts to perform this action must be in range of a different objective marker that is not already scanned by a unit from your army. A unit cannot start this objective while there are any enemy units except aircraft in range of the same objective marker. This action is completed at the start of your next command phase or at the end of the battle, whichever one happens first. If this action is succe- successfully completed, that objective marker is said to have been scanned by your army. You score a number of total victory points uh, at the end of the battle depending on how many times your army has scanned objectives as shown in the table below so there's only there's five objectives in this one i'm sorry if i said four there's one in the dead center of the battlefield and then there's uh four each it's so 14 inches from the center objective and then eight inches out almost as if it's in like a uh, an uppercase I format. It's pretty weird. The deployment zones are kind of strange as well. It's like hammer and anvil, but you knock off the uh, what looks like the outside six inches or so. So you've got this kind of weird rectangle inside um, the deployment zone. And you, uh, you start 28 in- inches away from each other. So this, yeah. this like I said, this is uh, hammer and anvil. on the short edge. And if you scan um, one objective, it's three points, two objectives, six points, three objectives, 10 points, four objectives or more is 15 points. Now, I actually don't mind this one for a kind of a safe 10 points the problem is none of these objectives are in your deployment zone you can't none of these objectives are easy to scan and your opponent's always going to get to have a say because of where the objectives are i think if this if this one was in any other configuration of objectives it would be good but on this one i think it's kind of trash tell me why i'm wrong guys you're not yeah cool you're not <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> cool. Well, any it's of nice. the other ones would just be kind of as good as this. It's like, why pick this when there's already, we already know there's objectives in the game that reward you for taking the middle of the board that don't have that conditional downside that you're talking about where you can just be shut down. Um, hmm. Like something like Raise the Banners, where you could just take those two ones close to you, raise the banners there yeah. and kind of kill the base there and move forward, start threatening to raise banners elsewhere. It's just better than this. Technically, you can do it whipped together, but I, I yeah. just really don't feel like uh, you need this one. But it, look, there's some armies that might just want that extra. And the, the, the interesting thing I will note about the fact that these there's all these other secondaries that seem to be about holding objectives, because there's other missions that have similar ones, it just mm-hmm. shows you that if you build an army that just wants to hold objectives and just take ground, then you can, you're going to have more than enough options of objectives. Yep, that's well said. I think this one is almost as much of a scrum in the middle crap fight for two or three turns and then one one player dominates than the one we talked about before, the Vanguard deployment one. So this is this is almost... A t- when I said the other one, which one was it called? Um, Vital Intelligence was going to be an absolute slugfest. This one is going to be that times two because there is zero reason to stay in your deployment zone. You get how, zero yeah. points in your deployment zone. You have how to leave. Awful. You have to go. You have to go. Sorry, how awful is this for Tower, though? Like... You know, it, oh, it's like 
you, you, you can't even feasibly... Well, sorry. Can't... Some versions of Tau. There are some versions yeah. of Tau who will laugh at this and be great at it. Yeah, sure. So, so we'll, we'll talk about the meta Tau because we don't know what the new meta Tau looks like yet. But the meta mm. Tau of Riptides and Broadsides and Drones or Fire Warriors and Drones, whatever it might be, you just have to move so far out from your deployment zone and put yourself so close to the enemy. It feels like... Oh, it, it feels really nasty to Tau for me. Well, I think it depends what it depends what the terrain's like because if the riptides can just move out onto the and, and take those two objectives close to them and just start blasting stuff off the table straight away, that's promising. But if well, here's they, the thing though, yeah, they can't. It's too far spread. You'll never get any supporting fire. You'll never get any buffs across each other. You almost have to move into this like the center of one of the the versions. So if you break this into two T's, you've got a, a top T and an inverted T, you have to focus on one of the T's. You have to be like, okay, that's the T I'm going to dominate, yeah, the yeah, top so T or the bottom. Yeah, I see what you're saying. But, uh, I mean, it depends on the town. I think it depends on terrain as well. If you can't get lines of fire into the center because it's a big piece of terrain blocking center yeah. objectives, it's, awful. it's all, absolutely awful. Because even as Matt said, to move out and get your objectives, you're then close to them. So... Mm. Yeah, Tau would rather objectives be further back, let's be honest. Yeah, and so would a lot of armies. I mean, where this really favours is what we keep saying before. Nurglings and Raven Guard and things that can deploy en masse mid-board are going to gobble this up so well. It's just, this, is, this is tailor-made for those armies. Yep. Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, not, I'm not... I like this one, but I, I just know, like, you'll play this and you'll be like, uh, I can't win this mission versus this army versus your opponent it's going to be it's going to be a feel bad at some point to somebody but yeah it, the fact that it's in this makes means you have to make some considerations when you're writing your list although Tau um, have a lot of things like they have airburst frag launchers and sms and stuff they can shoot out on a site yeah. like if you've got the right army built around like airburst frag and sms you probably like this but the normal conventional gun lines hate this map yeah exactly right but in saying that you have a Tau have a lot of means to deny objectives to opponents the problem becomes how do they hold on themselves in any meaningful way but yeah, at the same time, like if you were just holding two objectives and making sure your opponent can't hold three, you're gonna you're gonna be in a winning, you know, that's a, that's a decent position, especially if the the two or well, possibly three you're holding are very safe. Um, next one's overrun. Uh, Matt, do you want to hit this off? Yeah, sure. So there's um no uh no special mission rule for this one. Uh, it's in a a Dawn of War style deployment, so you're 24 away from each other. There are six objectives in this one, so you, straight down the middle of the board. Uh, two inch, uh, sorry, four inches into your deployment zone, so sixteen from the center. You got one each in the middle of your <coughs> middle of your deployment zone, and then sixteen inches uh, to the left and the right, and then ten inches uh, up and down. So there's four objectives in a square in the middle that are sixteen up and sorry, ten up and sixteen uh, out from the center. You got four there, so they end up being um, just uh, just six inches out the front of your deployment zone uh, at sixteen inches away. So you kind of got. A square of four objectives in the center, um, with two pretty close to each player's deployment zone, then two uh, a little bit deep into uh, into your actual deployment zone down the middle. The uh, overrun, the uh, progressive objective for this one: score a number of victory points at the end of your command phase if you control one or more of the objective markers that are within your opponent's territory, uh, as shown on the table below. Uh, so essentially, one is worth two, two is worth three, three is worth five. Uh, essentially, this one is go and grab the uh, the objectives that are on your opponent's side of the board. Yeah. So if you cut this one in half, there's three in your territory, three in your opponent's. Pretty self-explanatory, and you gain a number of points at the start of your command phase. So, e.g., you cleared them off, 
in your in your phase, held them through your opponents, and have them at the start of at the, in your command phase. You get some points. Yeah, um, but you have to hold all it's so much. Yeah, it's so much freaking effort to just get uh, three points. You have to hold two of them to get three points, which means if you're holding two yeah. of your opponents, you're holding five objectives. You've already won the freaking game, essentially. Um, yeah, if you can if you can hold five, That's exactly it. Yeah, through your opponent's turn, the game's over. <laughs> it's cooked. Take it out of the oven. Doesn't need to be in there anymore. Um, yeah, I, I think this is one of the ones where you'll score a lot if you're already winning. But I wouldn't pick it in a game that's uh, going to come down to you know ten points or so. Exactly right, Jez. Any any thoughts? Ah, uh, yeah, I think you guys made a good assessment of the secondary not being amazing. Um, obviously, this mission is pretty good for. It depends on, on terrain, but it seems pretty good for raise the banners because there's three very accessible. Um, mm mission, you know, objectives to just raise banners on and really set up for it. Just defend those three objectives and you max raise the banners. Um, yeah, exactly. Attractive. Uh, in the right, in the right, with the right terrain, a gunline army would very easily be able to do that. But we know, I don't think gunlines are a thing in this edition. I think this just goes to show how important just board control is because um, if anything, though, this is one mission where we might see an army be able to be competitive that doesn't have board control. Um, because yep. Yep. if you do sit back, you've got, you don't really lose anything from sitting back. Um, and mm. to go forward and really threaten your opponent's objectives, you have to get really deep. So this is probably the only, the first uh, mission we've seen where a gun line would be kind of happy to roll this up. Yeah, exactly um, right. They'd be happy to play a defensive game and just play to their strengths. Um, and yeah, I totally agree. I actually like this mission. I'd like the layout of the of the objectives. I think it's gonna, but yeah, what what I think could happen is you just get a, a one guy who's like, I will, I will, I have more to gain by sitting here and doing nothing than I have by contesting the board, and it could become a very neutral kind of non-event. See, part of the reason why I think the secondary is uh, is not great is that this mission is going to come down to um to secondaries like. The way that these objectives in the middle are 20 inches away from each other, they're a long way away from each other, which means you can be controlling it from, you know, 24, 28 inches away from where mm. your opponent's controlling their one. Uh, it just means that the primary is very, very, very likely to go even, at yep. least for yep. three, maybe four turns. Yep. You're going to want secondaries that you can reliably get quite a few points off of. Raise the banners, you're probably going to get most of your points. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you might not get 15. You're probably going to get 12 or more. Um any sort of control the center, like psychic ritual, you know, your opponents have to be so far away from the middle of the board if they're going for one of your objectives. Uh, it just, it screams, like, it screams smart secondary choices will win this mission. Yeah, I agree. And if, if you can disrupt your opponent's primary for, like, one turn, that could be all, it's in, all the difference. Um, smart secondary choices and then have, like, one niche chaos play where you just go in, just stop, get, you get a 15, they get a 5, and that you'll win. Like, it'll be a big swing. Um, all right. Next one, sweeping clear. Did I read out the last one, Matt, or did you? Yeah. Uh, I did. Okay. You can do this one. I'll uh, do the last one. The mission 
uh, rule. This one has a mission rule called uh, Objective Cleared. And this uh, mission, if you control an objective marker at the end of your command phase, it remains under your control unless your opponent controls it at the end of a subsequent any subsequent phase, even if you have no models on it. So, e.g., like a couple of other rules we've read. Um, the secondary here is direct, direct Assault. Score three victory points if you control either the objective markers in the center of the battlefield or in the objective markers in your opponent's deployment zone at the end of your turn, or five victory points if you, if you control both of these objective markers at the end of your turn. Now, there's... Uh, uh, five objective markers in this one. This one is table quarters. So as in there's a, there's a center space, which is um, nine inches in radius, 18 inches in, in circumference, that uh, is you don't deploy in. And then you deploy in essentially the quarter, a quarter of the table apart from that. Um, there's five objectives in this one in the dead center of the middle of the table, and then, and then one in the center of each quarter of the table. Um, so they're 12 inches in from the, the middle line, essentially. This is an interesting one. So I'll read the secondary again because it's actually quite cool. Use score three victory points if you control either of the objective markers in the center of the battlefield. Uh, either the objective marker in I oh, say in the center. I thought it said markers, and I was like, "There's only one in the middle." Um, or the objective marker in your opponent's deployment zone. So you're fighting over this middle one, and it's worth three. It's only worth, it's worth three victory points if you hold it. It's cool. Um, <laughs> And, the, and the, the mission special rule in this mission, if you control an objective marker at the end of your command phase, it remains under your control. Yeah, so if you control if you control the middle one and then push your opponent back, you don't have to put anything on it. You can just keep racking up the the secondary points, even though you don't technically control it, as long as they don't. Um, the problem is it's pretty easy for them to control it off you. So you'd have to be really dominating. Any thoughts, gents? I'll go with Jez first. Well, I mean, that, that obviously, that objective. So it's three for controlling the middle... Um, can you score it in turn one? Doesn't say you can't. Yeah, and then and then you get more if you five if you also control theirs. Yes. Okay. So um, but obviously, yeah. this, this second in this mission when players like are selecting their da 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 da. Uh, it's on the battlefield at the end of at the end of your turn. Yeah, so it's only at the end of your turn. So you don't need to control it through your opponent's turn. You just have to push him off and take it. Yeah, well, this is good for armies that want to be running at their opponent. You pick this, you pick, um, you pick the, uh, I guess, the psychic ritual. You could pick the other one that's also control the center. And then you've got three objectives that all you need to do is control the center. And bearing in mind, if you control the center, then that means you're likely controlling at least two objectives. Um, very difficult for your opponent to score the primary over you. So mm. this is just run at the center with, with like a lot of stuff. Uh, whatever, whatever beefy it's stuff you got. Yeah, this this just shows. I think that uh, I don't know. I feel like there's going to be some very clear armies, and um, like a good example of an army that would be perfect to this would be like, I mean, the, those army, like something like Matt, Matt, the army you were playing at the end of eighth. With, I mean, I don't know if that's viable now, but just lots of like powerful, tough bodies with that smite uh, batteries behind it. Um, that just moves up or even the, the iron hand style list of the end of eight mm. that just yeah. is so resilient. It just moves up. It holds ground. It's good in combat. If you run at it, you get hit by a lot of like Marines and it just methodically rolls up into that part of the board and just says, I win because I'm getting all my secondaries. I'm winning the primary, like good luck. Like even yeah. if they start tabling you by turn four, it doesn't matter because you've, you've got enough of an advantage by that point to just cruise to victory. Yeah, I agree, man. Matt, anything to add? Uh, Jeremy said it pr- pretty well there. Um, I think uh, I think there's so many secondary objectives that revolve around the center objective, mm. and this one being the end of your turn, 
just allows you to um, to put pressure on really early. Yeah, uh, you start scoring it straight away, and you just put stuff in the middle of the board. And you say, "Hey, come get me if you can." Mm. Um, the armies like the the armies that have the beasts and Nurgle, the the Talosses, the the Plague Burst Crawlers, they're gonna love it, aren't they? Man, they're, they're just gonna walk up there and like you only start nine inches away. So if yeah. you move five, even if you're a Terminator and you move five, you're getting within that four and a bit inches. Mm. Oh, sorry, oh, sorry, you, you, you need to advance one. Sorry, to get within that uh that objective control radius. But you can do that from turn one, uh, no matter what you have in your army. Yeah. So uh, the, it, it seems really strong. I have this weird thing where I wish it was either six inches or nine inches away from the center objective that you started. Sorry, so six inches or 12 inches, not nine. Because when you're nine inches away, you're right. Anything that moves six just gets an just gets an auto advance onto it and, and grabs it. Whereas um, if you are 12 inches away, then it's it's a decent move from your your table to get into it. You need to get a, a four on essentially a four on the advance to make it. And if if it was six inches, that means you couldn't put um, nerglings and things of that ilk onto it. Your opponent could push them back. Um, so for a couple of reasons, I think this is just one that some armies are just going to clean sweep. Um, especially sorry, on this objective, they're just going to dominate it. And when they get it, it's going to be so freaking hard for you to stop them. Yeah, look, I think uh, I, I actually don't mind the nine inch thing. I think it means a lot of uh, a lot of basic infantry sometimes will need to advance to get on there. Mm. Um, it's kind of a bit of a trade off that way. Uh, but look, th- this one does seem like a, a very good objective to take. Yeah, it does. It actually seems quite good, especially if you think you're going to have uh, board dominance. Um, yeah, no worries. I think it's a good one. Well, we'll jump over to the next one. We've only got a couple left. Man, this has been such a slog of a recording. So um, this is the last one, mate. You said you wanted to read it. Hit it up. Oh, I didn't say I wanted to, but I said I was more than happy to do it. And, you know, Adam, Adam just for you, I will uh, whip out my, Shucks, my, 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 lovely, my lovely reading voice. All right, so this one here, uh, Mission 33. Um, we've got – it's kind of similar to a, uh, to a Vanguard Strike deployment here, but – it's kind of inverted. Uh, if you if you sort of look at it, the uh, the longer edge is along the shorter edge. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain if you haven't. Just go look at the book. Uh, mission special rules: uh, priority objective. After players have chosen their deployment zones, before they declare reserves and transports, the players uh, reposition the objective markers labeled A and B as described below. First, the attacker repositions uh, either one objective marker labeled A or one objective marker labeled B. Secondly, the defender re- uh, repositions one objective marker labeled A and one objective ma- uh, marker labeled B. Uh, you can't redeploy one objective marker more than once. Yep. Finally, the attacker repositions the last objective marker labeled A or B that is yet to be repositioned. In all cases, when they are repositioned, uh, it, you set it up again wholly within six inches horizontally from its original position and not on uh, or any obstacles or defensible terrain features. After all objective markers have been repositioned, each player secretly writes down the note uh, of one of their objective markers that is within their own territory to be a priority objective marker. Uh, can't be the one in the center of the backfield. Uh, after players have done this, they reveal their choices to their opponent. That wasn't wordy at all. Yeah, so I'm going to keep going and give you I do the, not, I do not <laughs> the actual me. secondary. I do not regret making you read this at all. Priority. Priority targets, score three victory points if you control either one of the priority objective markers at the end of your turn, or five if you control both of these. So just for a bit of clarity here, there is one objective in the center of the board. There is one inside your deployment zone that starts inside your deployment zone and one that starts inside your opponent's deployment zone that are labeled A and B. The one that is on your side of the board is also labeled A. The one on your opponent's side of the board is also labeled B. Uh, 
both players move one of the A's and one of the B's. Uh, yes, and then you get the uh, the bonus points here. Uh, sorry, the the secondary points here come from holding one or more of the priority objective markers. I feel like if you're if you're if you're controlling your opponent's uh, priority objective, you're probably still controlling your own. I can't really see. I, I think this is a very the second. I like the secondary here. This is a very convoluted um, mission, by the way. And I feel like turn one, no matter what happens with this mission, it's just going to turn into hammer and anvil, just because of how wonky the deployment map is. If you guys are looking at it, I feel like yeah. every every, yep. player, every time is going to grab the the one objective that's not in their deployment zone immediately. Turn one is you're just going to do it, and so it's just going to turn into a hammer and anvil game. Really, well, it depends really quick. what gets moved, right? Depends what objectives get moved. Am I? Yeah. So there's um. There's a really interesting, uh, I guess, psychological metagame that goes on here, uh, given that you've both got to move one of the A's and one of the B's, and you can't select uh, the A if you're the A player. Yeah. Uh, you can't select the objective in your deployment zone uh, to be your uh, your priority objective, and you can't select the one that, that obviously in B in your deployment zone there. So you, player B is either going to move your objective out of your deployment zone to move it to uh, closer to them, or they're going to move the one in no man's land closer to them. So they're either making the decision to uh, to take one sorry, to take one of them away from you, but they're going to make the decision of do they want to make it harder for you to hold one, or do they want to make it harder for you to score this uh, the bonus. this secondary yeah. objective if you do pick it. And that's, uh, that's, I, actually, I, I quite like this. I yeah. think this is really interactive. I think it's really fun. cool. Jez. I agree. I think it, it, that decision is going to come down to who gets the first choice um, to see what your opponent is. That how it's, is it done sequentially? Uh, yes. So it says the attacker and does it first, and the defender. So you'll, you'll know who is going. Yeah. First. So depending mm. on like what the attacker does, then the defender might, if you know, make a decision to try to shore things up a little bit. Like they might say, "Well, okay, you're moved my one because uh, you only move one objective each, right?" No, you move two, but you move one of the A's and one of the B's. So yeah, the attacker, so the attacker move... moves one first, and then the defender moves two, and then the attacker moves the last one. Yeah. So, so the defender gets to move two back to back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, it, it is interesting. Uh, I think that it, it will create a situation where, the depending on what the armies are, people might be trying to cluster objectives closer to the center because knowing there is a center objective, rather than just move it, away in like an arbitrary way, people might be trying to move objectives towards the center to create a little kind of like pocket they can occupy. Whereas a gun line style defensive list will obviously won't be doing that. They'll just be trying to create distance for themselves or create create a second objective that's accessible um, for them. Yeah. So this I don't think favors gun line armies though, because as Matt said, um, they're either, your opponent is either going to move your objective right to the deployment line or move that 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 uh, objective that was otherwise close to you, away from you, and if they make that decision, they're really kind of leaving you with only one accessible objective. Hmm. Um, so then you would then, if you're the gun line, move their objective close to you to try to pick up one. But it's tough. It is tough. Yeah, it is tough, man. Um, I I think this is my favorite of the lot, actually. So far, this is my favorite one. It's got the most interaction between you and your opponent. It's got the most intrigue and subtle nuance to it. Um, like you could, you could be a baller turn one, and uh, sorry, and you're the attacker, and you move the objective that no one thinks you're going to move, and you touch the one in your no man's land, 
and uh, chuck it closer to your opponent or some, something wacky and just turn this whole game on its head. One thing I think is cool is that if you're playing a list that holds the center of the table really well and your opponent uses the, their first pick to put your objective closer to the middle, you double down and you take your no man's land and you put that closer to the middle as well. And then you have these three objectives that are six inches, like that are just so much closer than they, they were before, all within easy score range of just holding that middle. And you're just going to score points for taking objectives to hold the middle anyway. And so I think there's a lot of really nice little interplays here that could be really saucy. Um, that's it. So any closing thoughts, guys, on that mission? I think it's cool. No, I, I think, think it's, it's good. Cool, yeah. Yeah. All right. That's going to wrap us. That's going to wrap us up. That was a huge two-hour marathon, guys. I'm I'm testing out this format because we we just decided. Well, I just decided, and I pulled these two my two mates along for the ride that we were going to smash that whole thing out in one go. I could easily break this up into two. We could have done the secondaries, and then in part two we talk about the secondaries, the good, the bad, and the ugly. What we like, what we don't like, and then next week we could have brought you the missions. I decided to chuck these together as one big bulk package. You might not want to listen to this whole thing in one go. If you do, well done to you. Hopefully. You got some painting done um or you were cooking or cleaning the house but um thank you so much for sticking through with this if you have i hope you enjoy this please give us some feedback on whether you like this longer format episode because we might be forced to do this for when we get stuck getting some codexes like maybe we'll do a two-hour special for the space marine or the necron codex when they come out or maybe we break it up i want to know what you guys want me to do with that um and patrons by all means have your say as you will always be able to do um so we're going to jump over to part two now and we're going to talk about how to make armies and how to write lists and the little nuanced crazy little bits and pieces that we think we can do to make the and get the most out of these secondaries and these missions i want to thank matt and i want to thank jeremy d very deeply for giving me their time because this is no easy task um and we i feel like you guys have been adding big brain firepower to this uh for a whole two hours so and that is no mean feat either so thank you very much gentlemen if you'd like to have any closing thoughts on this stuff guys anything you're excited about anything looking forward to uh big brains double mains <laughs> Double man. For those, okay, I'll let you win on that in joke. Jeremy has a. Uh, there are a lot of superstitions around tournament players. I don't know if that's just an Australia thing, but there certainly is in Australia. And one of the, one of the superstitions that Jeremy has is that when he goes undefeated day one of a tournament, he needs to have, order two main meals at dinner in the, the, the evening. And if he does, he'll go undefeated again. Um, how many times has that actually worked for you? It's worked for me at two CanCons. So two of the CanCons. That's crazy. It worked. It worked for me at a different, a couple of other events. It worked for my first ever tournament win, actually, as well at Western Smash in 2015. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it, the hoodoo was broken, like that. That I mean, the good luck was broken. Um, when I double mained at ETC last year, when we were going in for the yeah. win England in the final day of England, you guys remember me? All that stuff I was eating in Serbia, that restaurant. Mm-hmm. We're in that palatial restaurant at the, the top floor wow. of ourselves. Cocktails. And I ate about like <laughs> ten kilos of food, and we lost. So, but you won your game. You won your game, Jez. I did win my game. That is true. That is true. Yeah, yeah. So maybe if you looked at it like that, uh, uh, Matt, I'll give you a chance. If you got any weird superstitions, <laughs> nothing like that. Look, wait. What about you and desserts? Uh, it's, Matt? it's not what about a- desserts. Oh, look, I've just stolen your idea, though, and I just do double desserts. Although, look, what I will say is on the topic of food and 40K, Jeremy and I now have this lovely tradition where every year at Terracon we uh, we play a game of pool, and however many balls the winner wins by, the loser has to order that many ice cream sundaes. <laughs> uh. <laughs> that's why that's, that's, uh, that just keeps us in shape, folks. Just keeps us fit. Yeah. 
It's just it, this is what peak performance looks like. <laughs> I love this stuff about the community. I'm sure everyone at home listening to this right now has their own version of that kind of story. The silly things they do with their mates at tournaments, the stuff that you, the memories that you make with your mates that really make this stuff survive and thrive. So thank you so much, guys. We're going to jump over to episode two, and uh, yeah, hope you guys will join us there. If you haven't signed up for the Patreon, the patrons get to have a say in the content I create. They get to have their questions and their list reviewed by me and the guests I have on. And they get to get the insights into how we think we're going to optimize and make the most out of these missions and the content and the things we've been talking about. So if you haven't signed up there, please go find us on Facebook. Um, Twitch, hopefully, up and running sooner or later. We're going to be streaming some games. And yeah, chuck us a like and follow the uh, Frontline Gaming Network. And then, yeah, the Patreon, of course. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you again, Matt. Thank you again, Jeremy. And uh, thank you for listening, guys. Peace out. Peace out. Bye. Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under. A content review podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War Down Under. Signing out from tomorrow.